0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 108 of Through the Years, the podcast that reviews Ring of Honor, show by show from the beginning. Uh, my name is Trevor Dane, and joined as always by the co-host, Matt Feuerstein. And I was just thinking today, like, a lot of podcasts do like that. um, They'll just talk about general and off-topic things for like the first five to 30 minutes of the show. I, I'm like, we don't usually do that. And then before the show, you... Some great Matt Lore as the as the kids like to say. And uh I don't know if, I don't think we'll be saying it on the air, but we had a we had a good preamble before this episode.
1: Yeah, you know I'm excited revelations. You know, we're sparing the listeners of our personal drama. You know, I get it. People like the banter with of their favorite hosts and stuff, but I feel like, you know, for the most part it's we, we, we're 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 business minded gentlemen who like to get down to business right this is a very only the only the most businessy people listen to this podcast and we're here to give you the business and um that's why uh we're introducing our new cameo right now if anyone wants us to personalize give us give you personalized (laughs) business you can pay us a thousand dollars and we will do a cameo for
0: you we are going to get so much business from the likes of Explosive Dragon Farts, which is the, as you know to me in delight in recent months, was uh, the, the the actual username, and believe me, that is Farts spelled with a Z, of someone that is now following us on YouTube. So uh, that's the kind of fans we attract on this show, and we're proud to have them. Man. And we're going to get paid $1,000 by them to do a cameo. We're going to say
1: Explosive <laughs> Dragon Farts, get with the program. Happy birthday.
0: Congratulations. Congratulations on your son's bris, explosive Dragon. Happy hearts.
1: birthday! Congratulations on your son's bris, and get it together, man!
0: Right, because we're we're here to give him the business,
1: right? We gotta we gotta be we gotta be harsh and tough, and that's our that's our that's our, that's our, that's our brand, right? That's why people listen because we're so harsh and yeah. tough.
0: Yeah, De- definitely all the tough love and angry rants. This is definitely the show, and uh, we're here for, we'll we're here we for the angry any- rants. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll anyway, we A- cameo.
1: We're it's 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 live us a thousand dollars.
0: I'm sure there has to be someone on that charges a thousand on Cameo, right? Yes. Uh, my my hobby used to be uh although I actually know there are people like I believe there are people – like this is crazy. I, I've heard stories of people that will like, will, will set for Cameo and they'll go like, I want to charge this much. And Cameo will go, we don't think you should charge that much. Like we're not going to let you set that price. Like like Cameo will apparently judge you. So like what would Cameo deem us? If, like We <laughs> don't think more than $2.50 for Cameo. I'm going to
1: tell you, Trevor.
0: Cameo would not let us go on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm being presumptuous. But we are. you. I mean I am not – like I mean no one's ever heard of me. You do have fifteen thousand Twitter followers, so I guess there's a chance they might let you go on for like ten bucks. I don't know, but I feel like your claim to fame is purely Twitter. And I'm yes. not famous at all. So um I don't know. But listen, <laughs> no, it's a thousand it it's a thousand dollars. Trevor will get seven hundred, I'll get three hundred, I think it's fair. Fifty
0: oh, fifty. Well,
1: All right. um, right, I'll take it. It's very generous of you, but thank you so much. I'll take it. 50 cents and 50 cents. How about we do – I get 700 and you get 300. Since you're so famous, you probably have all kinds of revenue streams that are open to
0: you. Incredible (laughs) revenue streams. My god. Um, See,
1: instead of of doing banter about our lives and general topic, we just (laughs) did a whole bit about Cameo, um, and that's why you listen.
0: Exactly. Um, You certainly don't listen for the review of the show today, which would be a Chi-Town Struggle. So, yeah, and, and,
1: and this, this Chi-Town Struggle episode of Through the Years will not be a struggle for you to get to because we promise to be as entertaining as ever. Oh, wait, that's bad. <laughs>
0: um, but it took place June 24, 2006 frontier field house in chicago ridge illinois in front of a reported crowd of 900 fans and matt believe it or not it was actually not the biggest wrestling show held in chicago that day because according to the observer and i will quote Meltzer, one of the reasons the crowd in chicago was down on June 24th, was that 10 minutes away, Pro Championship Wrestling ran a show with Bret Hart appearing, which apparently drew a huge crowd, outdrawing ROH, and I actually, Matt, did some research, I found a live report of the show, Uh, it might have been provided from Pro Championship Wrestling, so take this with a grain of salt, but they claimed that their show, with a Bret Hart special appearance, drew 1,100 fans, so 200 more than a... ring of honor
1: doesn't sound, fact, doesn't sound so far-fetched did you notice the sign in the audience that said they might have brett but we're here for roh
0: yeah i was gonna point that out. yeah it's rare even to see a fan with any sign on a ring of Honor show and yeah you could see a fan that literally said that and i looked at the card for the show it was pretty much mostly wrestlers i had never heard of before uh sabu made a guest appearance wait you've never and, heard uh, of sabu well other than <laughs> danny v, Doring apparently no show the
1: terry Brunk.
0: I saw him with a picture with hook this week, and uh, Taz made a funny uh, retweet where he just put a period with the picture to denote that he was probably unhappy in a jovial manner.
1: Did I tell but, you about uh, the time? Did I tell you about the time in 2009 where I walked by the Hollywood Walk of Fame and I saw that Sabu had a star? And then of course I looked it up, and there was an old, like famous, like there was an old actor from like the 20s or 30s named Sabu, but it was pretty funny.
0: To the count. Sabu. Do you think Sabu deserves? Sabu definitely deserves a cameo. Samuel, Sabu probably has a cameo, right?
1: If Sabu doesn't have a cameo, he he could have a cameo. <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder if they would let him charge a
0: thousand dollars. Probably, I imagine. I imagine with Sabu maybe at most. I'm going to guess a one hundred fifty dollar cameo. I'm not sure. But either way, uh, another note we get to before the start of the show, uh, Figure Four Weekly, Brian Alvarez, he wrote this note, and we will get to both of these instances as we review the show. Brian wrote, rough crowd at this Ring of Honor show as they threw bottles at of TNA when they were unhappy, and during some chance another section of the crowd chanted, shut the fuck up at the people chanting. And We, we will cover both those uh, things as we get to the show. But Shut the fuck it, up at people
1: chanting is not that unusual at these shows i've been to several where that happened throwing the bottles was unusual and i definitely noticed it and yeah it's it's not good i think um and we could talk about it later but i think Meltzer said in the in a recent review that we uh that you cited like them encouraging people to throw toilet paper i think opened up a bit of a can of worms
0: yeah uh, a real bag of garbage i'm trying to think of something clever about it's like oh what do bottles come in i guess Plus sometimes you can buy a, a twenty-four pack of bottles. That might be enough. They opened up a real pack.
1: twenty-four pack of bottles. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then uh finally, before we get to the show, we actually got to see there was three pre-show matches, and thankfully uh Chris Vetter sent a live report to the Pro Wrestling Torch, and he actually did a very rare thing, which we don't usually see with these pre-show live reports, which is he actually, Green Lantern fan style, timed out these matches, and I was kind of in- interested with all these matches incredibly short, so be, even beyond on the pre-show, if you're an unknown, you do not get much time during a Ring of Honor show, so we'll go to... Pre-match pre-show match one. Josh Abercrombie defeated Rhett Titus in 50, in four minutes fourteen seconds. Chris wrote solid match. Good match for Josh. He deserves another look. Then uh, he just rides Boz, defeats Alex Sugarfoot Pain. I'm gonna say that's Ryan Boz, the indie wrestler. In two minutes, thirty-seven seconds, I think, Boz it's, I think it's Brian short.
1: Bosworth. And uh He was <laughs> Bo- he was Boz, right? They called him <laughs> Boz. They definitely called him Boz.
0: And then our final pre-show match.
1: Venom. you're no-selling my Brian Bosworth reference. I'm
0: (laughs) going to be honest, I barely remember who Brian Bosworth is.
1: Oh, well, you better look him up because his haircut in the 80s, very distinctive.
0: (laughs) And our final pre-show match, Venom, Mike Walker, defeats CJ Otis and Bobby Dempsey in 4 minutes, 33 seconds. Uh... Chris Vetter writes, they blew a lot of spots considering this was just four minutes. Oh, so, um, but amazing that like none of these matches get over you know four and a half minutes. And I wonder if this is just because they were in the Midwest. How much of it is just that, or how much of this is maybe like a Dave Prazak influence? Because Josh Abercrombie, Ryan Boz, not Bosworth, and uh, CJ Otis were all regulars in IWA Mid South at this time. So I wonder if this was maybe even Dave Prazak saying, "Hey, let's." Try and get some guys some bookings, give them a shot. None of these guys really catch on in Ring of Honor at all. But no matter, we will get to the show we actually got to see. And it starts like the show the night before. This is the second half of a double shot. When like the show last time, we opened once again with the Ring of Honor students sitting on the bleachers before the show, except Bobby Dempsey informs us that this time they asked for the promo time, unlike last night when it was Shane Hagedorn who requested it, and they basically all just needle Shane Hagedorn and make fun of him for losing last night. Shane is angry. He responds that he will find another partner tonight, and it isn't going to be any of them still. He's going to beat those Christs tonight, so... Just a little bit of symmetry from the last show, and in fact, that will be kind of our uh, our we will bookend the show with another amazing students and hagedorn promo.
1: yeah, so on the um, la- on the last show, you sort of complained that like that match felt super random, the Hagedorn versus chris tag, but they you know you got to admit they put in some effort to make it not seem random at this point they they're building a little story around it, so that's hey that's something th- to their credit.
0: Yeah, it's like that Ring of Honor, we've been talking about, they've been doing a bit more frequently with these double shots. Well, they'll do these little storylines that will basically just be for the double shot, like that uh, Jimmy Jacobs has to win this weekend, or, you know, Lacey will leave him and he loses the first night and wins the second night. Like these little mini stories, which is, you know, as they're doing more double shots, it's a nice way to try and at least give you a little bit of more connective tissue. Um So next we have Colt Cabana outside in the sun, creating a very washed out picture, and Colt talks about being in his hometown tonight, where he's played sports, where he lays his head, he says he's here to wrestle for the Ring of Honor world title, and says he came into Ring of Honor in 2002 as a nobody, someone CM Punk brought along for a good time, maybe for a laugh, and he worked his way up, he worked his way hard, and the people took a liking to him. And at this point, he starts recapping like, a lot of his big matches with Ring of Honor He recap in, in Chicago. He recaps the night night he and Punk won the tag titles in Chicago against the Briscoes, which he calls a defining moment in his career. He says Chicago is the place where he beat CM Punk in Punk's farewell match in Ring of Honor, which col- calls one of the greatest, most emotional nights in his life. I wonder if he would still feel that way, because, I mean, it still was a special night, but I imagine feelings about some of the people may have changed a bit, but... He goes. Um, that's where what, are you he t- what are you
1: talking st- about, Trevor? You're gonna to to explain this from <laughs> right from the beginning.
0: So, so explain it real slow, like <laughs> you slow and sultry. Um, he says where he had a crazy steel cage match with Austin Aries. It's where he bled buckets of his own blood fighting homicide. And I just when I was rereading my notes as I transcribed this, I was like, I like that he emphasized buckets of his own blood, like as opposed to when he bled buckets of someone else's blood, which I guess would be po- possible if you had like a blood transfusion right before a match. You could say, I got blood buckets of someone else's blood, but he's, then he says he got to the point where he finally got to wrestle Brian Danielson for the world title in Philly. And there was so much steam behind him, so much momentum after the homicide feud. And he lost in five minutes. And he says that put the thought in his head that maybe he's not the best wrestler in the world, but he's worked and trained hard to get back to this point, get to this rematch. And Colt, yelling at this point in the promo, pulls out an old Dusty Rhodes line saying, he, tonight, he reserves the stratosphere for him and Brian Danielson. So, uh, so, a, you know,
1: so I don't, oh, go I, on. I, I, I mean, we watched a lot of like serious Cabana promos during the homicide feud and our reviews were mixed at best. I thought this was the best serious Cabana promo i've ever seen i thought this was a legitimately great promo
0: i think there was one i forget which specific one but i remember really liking one of the almost during the homicide feud in a way maybe i didn't quite but this was a really a pretty good um called cabana pro, and i and i really liked you know maybe maybe this appeals more to us because we're nerds who are rewatching and like excessive excessively documenting every one of these shows but like I I liked Colt, you know, actually taking that stroll down memory lane where I was like, yeah, he has had a lot of big matches in Chicago, you know, and that kind of made this match seem more important too, where he's kind of just put tying it together with, oh yeah, like this is where he won the tag titles, it is where he fought punk in their last match you know but you know that cage match with aries was pretty darn good like and i liked i I liked how he
1: built to the to the climax in that promo where he got he got more we got louder and louder and more intense and that final line where he was like you know you might be the best in the world but i'm going for the stratosphere i think that's a great line like it's corny but i thought it was it was really good i i really was impressed by this promo because he does not do a lot of serious promos and yeah this one hit for me and this is
0: probably like the time in Colt Cabana's career where he was, like, pushed the most as, like, a serious – I mean, he was still allowed to be cult and do comedy. But even still off of the homicide feud, you know, he is still getting to main event in Chicago for the world title. Like, he is still being portrayed. he's kind of, in some ways, the fill-in CM Punk where he is now – the guy in 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 one of the major markets for ring of honor at this point
1: yeah this was um, this was definitely the point in his career where i felt like the most like he had this upside to be a really big star you know yeah. I, I i feel like this was the moment where i was i i
0: was the most bullish on his prospects yeah that, that, that's a, a great way to put it because um Yeah, because I think for most of Colt's career, a lot of people would say, you know, oh, he's a good, like, undercard guy, good utility guy who, you know, he can occasionally main event, he can be up and down the card. But I feel like this is the one time in his career on the indies, at least, where you really felt like maybe there's more or maybe we're going to find out. Right. Um, and that brings us to the opening match. Uh, Irish Airborne of Dave and Jake Chris defeated Shane Hagadorn and his tag partner, another IWA Mid South alumni who would have a few matches in Ring of Honor this year, Trick Davis and uh Irish Airborne won in seven twenty-three when Jake Chris pinned Davis after they did their uh the Irish Airborne did their usual top rope double stomp, Death Alley driver on the knees combo. Uh, Matt, how do you think this stacked up to the uh, Irish Airborne Shane Hagadorn mystery partner match from the last show?
1: So I was definitely, you know, the high vote on that that match um, with um, the night before with um, um, Keith Walker instead of Trick Davis. Um, I just thought that match just told a simple story and was executed smoothly. I think this match wasn't as good in that aspect, but it definitely was more dynamic. Like they did more cool stuff. So it was probably more entertaining. It also had a hotter crowd, um, which makes sense because Chicago – you know, always has a hot crowd, but you know, so so that so that helps. And I think Trick Davis definitely fits in this mix more than Keith Walker does. Um, but um, you know, they start out with Davis with uh, Dave and Trick. They do like you know some fun arm drag stuff. You know, that's one of the Irish Airborne's um, trademarks. They do wacky arm drags off the ropes and stuff. And eventually, uh, Hagadorn tags himself in, and then um dave tags out to jake because that's just a thing that you do in roh tag matches in this era where you start out with two guys and then both guys tag out i still don't understand why that's such a such a trope in roh i don't feel like that's i've noticed that in other tag team wrestling promotions but like it's just something they do in roh i don't know um but you know they they um they do some cool stuff like the um jake uh, uh they 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 do a um Uh Dave hits a baseball slide, drop kick through the ropes to the outside. Trick Davis follows up with a toe pay to Dave. Dave comes at them with a flip dive over the top rope onto Davis and Shane. And then back in the ring, Shane is immediately in control, which doesn't exactly make sense since the Chris had the last offensive move. Um sometimes that feels like an oversight to me, like where like they just they do a dive to the outside and then the guy who gets dove on is in control. So like what was the point of the dive? I don't know. But um you know Shane does his run up to the back of the head stomp gets a two count on that there's kind of an awkward rope running spot with dave and trick with uh with davis hitting a forearm to dave's head and then tagging in shane and then things slow down you got um for the second night in a row Hagadorn choking dave with his boot over the bottom rope although i did not notice as many funny faces this time i don't know if 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 i just missed (laughs) them but um I, I, I like that most of Shane's covers, by the way, involve like he, he, he covers guys at this point in an interesting way where he sort of straddles the guy over the legs instead of just a lateral press. You know, it's, it's something different and it kind of makes sense. Um, so I like that, you know, to have like a signature way of covering somebody, I think helps you stand out a little bit. Um, at one point, uh, Davis hits a Rana and then like a swing around, I don't know how do you describe it, a swing of, a swing around butterfly lock on jay christ um and dave breaks that up with a kick to tricks back and knocks shane to the floor and that's when they do the uh head stomp dd uh, death valley driver over the knees for the pin um yeah i'd say i'd call it a push because the match the night before i think was smoother this match was more had more like cool stuff um but flowed worse so i would say they ended up being about equal um equally decent and equally not particularly good (laughs)
0: Yeah, uh, I thought that I thought this was better than the Hagedorn Irish Airborne tag from the night before, but I completely agree with like your general review in the sense that this was much more about the action. It was more kind of more fast, it was faster paced, had more exciting spots, but yeah, maybe there was a little bit more ugliness, less of a story. And like you said, there were a couple ugly spots, particularly that thing you mentioned where Trick Davis throws what looks like he's throwing an elbow super high so that that Dave is probably supposed to duck under, but instead Dave still kind of just runs into it with his forehead and it looks kind of awkward. But for the most part, you know, in a seven minute match that, you know, you got a nice dive train, like you mentioned, you and some nice spots and, you know, it was a perfectly like fine, like I would say like a high average, like, you know, perfectly fine way to start the show. It's not a barn burner. It's not memorable, but it was enjoyable enough. And the Irish airborne are really over in whenever they seem to do the Midwest, like there was a big Irish air, pretty big Irish airborne chant before this match starts and a huge chant for them after the match, you know, and it seems wherever they're in. Obviously, they're from Ohio, so wherever they're in Ohio and then Chicago, it seems like they get a bit of an extra boost. Um, one thing that I noted at the start of this match that one of my big Ring of Honor criticism, this is another show, Matt. Where they did not white balance the two cameras, which means when you watch the hard cam, anytime they show an angle from the hard cam, looks completely normal. And then anytime they shoot, show the ringside like handheld cam, there's a yellow tint to the video because they've not balanced out. So one of my, it's one of those things you get used to once you watch a bunch of the show. But man, that always really annoys me. Like it's it, it's one of the basic things. Like just. You you're only using two cameras, like just balance them so that they both look the same. But
1: at least it's been a long um, time. At least it's been a long time since we've had a show where where the lighting was so bad that you couldn't like see anything. Um, so yeah. so it's it's an improvement. By the way, since you mentioned this wasn't a barn burner, I just realized you know how the Briscoes had that fight on the farm a few years ago. They should have called yeah. that match a barn burner. <laughs> Would have been, if made they ever so much had sense. done like
0: a Briscoes like um. Kane and Undertaker match. If the Briscoe's ever made it to WWE, that would have been the perfect place for a barn burner. Just like some kind of inferno outdoors match. Really innovating.
1: Yeah. But we are very innovative. <laughs> That's why we're charging so much on Cameo.
0: <laughs> well, you treated that like I just like you had mentioned Brian Bosworth, and I was now I know how you feel. Man. But anyway. That's right. Um <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I don't know why I'm in a giggly mood today, but, um,
1: next, it's, uh, it's, it's it's the, it's the
0: gas you were given at the dentist. (laughs) Yeah. For those who don't know, I am coming off a dentist appointment yesterday, but I am 92%. So we will continue. Next. We have the embassy of Jimmy Ray, Prince Nana, Daisy Hayes, and yes, Alex Shelley backstage. And what I believe is Alex Shelley's final appearance in ring of honor for quite a while until he comes back for a, you know, a guest shot as part of the motor city machine guns. Um, Jimmy asks Alex Shelley, is he going to be okay for the match tonight? Because I guess tonight's match was supposed to be Jimmy and Shelley versus the Briscoes. Um, Shelley says, you know that feeling you have when you have an erection in the morning and you roll over way too fast? And Prince Nada immediately adds incredibly enthusiastically. He's like, yeah, I do know that feeling. And Shelley goes, well, I have that feeling but in my shoulder. And, uh, Shelly at this point says he's been training with the Ghana world cup football team. It's been taking a toll on his AC joint. He says he thinks Jimmy should find another partner tonight. Daisy at this point suggests she should step in as the partner and Nana says he needs her for protection on the outside Shelly says you can't do this match Daisy like you'd make this match too easy so instead he says I found somebody else and he brings in CK3 in another moment I love Prince Nana immediately says when he sees C- CK3 who's this to a guy who has worked multiple Ring of Honor shows including the night before and then but then Nana quickly seems to realize because he goes off uh, oh this is the gentleman you've told me about from last night and Shelly says CK CK3's going to have to learn to do the embassy hand gesture. They quickly teach him how to do it, the little pyramid-type thing. Nana says, if he can do that gesture, CK3 can ride with the embassy. So, apparently, that's all that it takes, Matt. Shelley then says, looking good so far. So, I just love the enthusiasm. And then, Matt, this this was awesome. I will, I, when I watched this, I put this segment up on Twitter a week or two ago on my Twitter feed, which we'll plug at the end of the show. I just thought this table was so much fun. This, I guess, is... In some ways, the last gasp for this iteration of the stable in terms of I I think Matt, in terms of Ring of Honor history, I don't think there's ever been an act that was funnier on a more consistent basis over a longer period of time than this little run of the Alex Shelley embassy. I, I just,
1: yeah. And they were really hitting their stride on promos those last few months when Shelley wasn't around as much because of the injuries and stuff. So it's kind of, it's kind of like a, a, almost like a, um, a missed opportunity or, or, you know, in some ways it's like,
0: what could have been. This is one of those acts where I think, you know, a lot of acts, I would not say this for, but this is one of those ring of honor acts where I think they actually would have been more successful if they had been in like WWE or TNA you know, and gotten just a mid card level push, but allowed to do these kind of backstage segments. I think they would have really gotten a following, and, and, and being able to do it every week rather than just you know like for one minute on the occasional DVD release. I think that kind of comedy they would have become real fan favorites. But, for
1: sure, I mean, yeah. for sure they probably would have had to turn babyface at one point.
0: Yeah, and so in fact, um Alex Shelley did still have a, 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 a the PW torch writes that uh Alex Shelley was unable to wrestle on this show due to a shoulder injury, so apparently that part was legitimately a real injury. No word on if it feeling like it feels when you roll on an erection in the morning. We we have no confirmation of that. I did a lot of research, man. A lot of research and I could not confirm that. But um and that brings us to the second match of the show. Roderick Strong defeats Jimmy Jacobs, a score to the ring by Lacey, via submission in 15 minutes, three seconds when he made Jacobs tap out to the stronghold. I thought this was pretty good, but nothing too special. I thought like if I had to give it a star rating, three and a quarter to three and a half undercard match, I thought, the, you know, they gave these guys plenty of time. They worked hard throughout. They gave you plenty of action. I kind of felt about this match, Matt, I think kind of like you felt on the kento Roderick Strong match the night before, although not as good as this, that match, but um, it's just that there wasn't that I felt it was kind of like there's not that one final gear that they ever hit that they that they could have gotten to in this match. They kind of stay in that second to last gear for a long time. But on one hand, I kind of thought, well, should I really expect more from the second match on a card? Because you know, a match of this quality on the second match on a card, it's pretty good. But then I thought, on the other hand. I guess I was kind of expecting more because I like Jimmy Jacobs and I generally expect more. When you see Roderick strong gets a 15 minute singles match, you really think, Oh, he's going to really blow the doors off. Um, there isn't much story here early on. It looks like we're going to get more of a lighthearted back and Jimmy Jacobs, where he's going to go back to being kind of distracted by Lacey and Roddy's really early on, kind of not taking him seriously, really just laughing him off, but they very quickly cut that out and proceed to have a very serious match for the rest of it. And, um, it's interesting. I feel like more than anything this weekend for Jimmy Jacobs felt almost like it was kind of like a test run of how seriously Gabe could push him because he's getting over with the Jimmy loves Lacey, you know, the music video and all that. And, but you look at this weekend, he got to go do the three way world time match with Danielson and and Whitmer on the last show. And he got to be the final two with Danielson and have like basically a 10 minute singles match with Danielson. And then here he get, he's getting 15 minutes to go with Roddy in a singles match. So to me, this weekend kind of feels like I could see Gabe thinking like, okay, you've got a character that's over. Let's see how well you could do in the ring. In ring, if I just throw you in the deep end of the pool, put you with like two of the very best workers, give you a bunch of time, let you have real competitive matches, and I think he does pretty well. Uh, watching this Jacobs in this match, I would say is he um, kind of reminds me of something I've talked about with CM Punk. Although I would certainly not put Jacobs even like him on the level of CM Punk as a wrestler, but like he's another guy who he works really hard, but watching him, you can see every gram of that effort he puts into the match. Like he doesn't make things look effortless or easy. And I don't necessarily think that's a flaw at all. Sometimes it's a strength for wrestlers. But I think when I was watching this match, I really noticed like Roderick Strong, he makes working a match like this, like just look like another day in the office where I felt like Jimmy Jacobs kept up, but just watching, it looked like it's taking like everything Jacobs has to kind of like keep up with roderick strong and match him but still i thought a good match just there wasn't that one thing that really made it ultra memorable
1: yeah it's it's funny like the way you frame it because my like my rating of this match would be pretty similar to yours like three and a half three and three quarters but like for whereas for you that's like oh you know it's, it's all right like for me that's like oh wow this match is like a hidden gem like wow i can't believe how good this was because like you said this is the second match on the show um, and I don't remember it at all. So I, I didn't expect much from it. I, you know, they, they tend not to have great matches the, big, the second match of the show, no matter who it is. And I think they really, like, they worked 15 minutes, they went hard. Jacobs, you know, while he's still playing at Jimmy Lo- Loves Lacey, he's definitely getting more serious, um, and definitely giving it his all, like you said. Um, Roderick was totally on point here. Everything that he did looked good. His chops were on point. I thought it told a good story. Um, you know Jimmy trying to keep up with Roderick Roderick gave him a lot more offense than I uh, than I expected um, and yeah I thought this was really fun I, I I and I also the crowd was good which which all which also makes a difference they kept out a really good pace I don't know this was better than I expected and not because I don't think these guys could have a better match with each other but because their position on the card And the way the crowd responded to it and the way that I think it continued to elevate Jacobs at a time when he needed that elevation. You know, he could have very easily become a comedy player at this point and he didn't like he's, uh, he, I mean, he, you know, he, he is and he isn't like they're letting him have credibility as a wrestler. And I think Roderick was very generous here to Jacobs, just like Danielson was generous the night before. So I think that. I don't know, that made me have a very positive um um you know, positive reaction to this match. I, I thought it was very good. Um uh yeah, I think if they wanted to like go all out like PWG style and just do everything they could, they could probably have a four star plus match. But that's not what they were going for here, and I think they hit the high end of what they were going for.
0: And I do think it's a good point you make about the crowd because I do think this was – Chicago really by this point had become like one of the better reacting and, and bigger in like more on a regular basis crowds, period, that ring of honor of all their markets. And I thought this was another – like you said, they were very loud for this match. They were very, pretty loud for the opener too. But particularly when um, Roddy wins the match where he does the uh, stronghold after the two half-nelson backbreakers, the crowd just roars when he puts them in the stronghold like – to a, to a surprising degree so yeah this crowd you know we'll get to it they, they were kind of a spicy crowd in fact during this match um to, again another thing that really dates this era of, of wrestling when jacobs uses the death valley driver the fans start chanting cena sucks like this was the era of where i guess the Cena hate was really at a peak it's amazing well, this was, that like, this
1: was right after one night stand where like you know the whole like you know like we're gonna burn that burn the entire building down because we hate cena so much was like the vibe in that building so i think hating cena was like yeah at peak yeah this particular month
0: Like like it's funny like that even made it into like Dave Meltzer's like recap from all the live reports like that was notable like just people don't like Cena (laughs) like that was the remember all those huge debates and now we just kind of accept that like oh yeah John Cena was a pretty darn good wrestler and a big star
1: yeah I mean I I think I I, if my recollection is accurate Cena really won over the uh, I guess what the I guess by lack of a better word smart mark (laughs) crowd in two thousand seven. He had like yeah. his match with Umaga, his matches with Shawn Michaels, his, you know, some of the matches with Orton. Like, he had a lot of great matches that year, and I think that's when, you know, people were like, alright, the Cena hate is ridiculous. He's awesome,
0: <laughs> you know? <laughs> and uh, next we go backstage to join uh, someone that's in the, been in the Ring of Honor in the modern times lately. at week uh, We'll record this. Who had just signed a deal with the Tony Khan Ring of Honor. Nigel McGuinness is backstage here. Uh, he wonders uh, when us internet monkeys are going to learn. He's been on the Ring of Honor Wrestling website. And he sees that people think he's going to be the first of the current champs in ROH to lose their title. Or at least I think Nigel meant to say that. Instead, he says that, he, that the fans think he's going to be, quote, the first person to lose this belt unquote, which is literally impossible without a time machine because he is not the first person to hold the pure title. Well I think but, inherent um, in
1: that poll was do you think there's going to be a time machine invented?
0: <laughs> Boy, the things we could change in wrestling with a time machine. But yeah. um
1: That's definitely Nigel, well, that's definitely the main use that we would have for the time yeah. machine. We should make a back to the future like uh spin off or not spin off but like take take off where like we um it's just a guy going back to change wrestling angles and and uh, yeah. t- and that, finishes
0: that is still the best uh from the old figure foresight uh the brian vay show i mean it's, it's it's weird to laugh about one of the people involved now in but that was still one of the all-time classic bits where uh vinnie and brian came up with an idea of uh The time that Crispin Law lost Orlando Jordan very quickly on SmackDown and the idea that Crispin Law would invent a time machine just so he could have a rematch with Orlando Jordan where he would potentially not lose that quickly. Nowadays, I think if you were going to create a time machine to correct a Crispin (laughs) Law-related thing – that might not be the top thing anymore. Yeah, it, but, would, it, would, prob- um, it
1: would probably be um, one of those, um, you know, part of that Booker T best of seven series, right? That's what we would choose.
0: Exactly. exactly. <laughs> um,
1: no, but seriously, that, maybe, that's a, maybe that's a new list them and learn concept is top 10 things you would change in wrestling with a time machine.
0: you'd have to just disqualify like tell people to not do drugs like like that would you could make a list that would just be those yeah i bet you they
1: they would listen right just like random guy
0: definitely who
1: choose dressed in a (laughs) who you know has a haircut that seems pretty dorky by 1980s standards (laughs) (laughs) he's gonna tell me how to have fun (laughs) who wants me to play what video games what the atari 2600 that's what this kid wants me to do instead of going Uh, out partying and getting laid on ball getting high on cocaine i don't know if this dork from the future has my best interest (laughs) at heart
0: only aj styles would have taken that advantage he would have tried to think can you imagine like AJ Styles trying to figure out a way so he could rig up, like, some adapter to put a CRT TV working off a cigarette lighter and then an Atari so he could play in the back seat or something. Because wasn't AJ Styles, like, the original guy who was like, yeah, I have a system so I can, like – I got a little LCD TV in my suitcase so I can play this, this PlayStation 2 on the bus so I could just imagine – AJ Styles being the one guy that would have listened to your not drugs um video games argument in the nineteen eighties. But
1: Yeah, unfortunately um, unfortunately he was a child, so it really would have <laughs> been been relevant.
0: So uh Nigel brags about beating CK3 the night before, calling him, quote, one of the best area guys from Michigan, unquote. Uh, Nigel tells the fans to touch their little keyboards, watch their Star Trek, play Dungeons and Dragons to their heart's content. Homicide isn't winning his first ROH title from him tonight, no matter how much the fans vote. And I, I love this is one of my little things I get a thrill of from. From Ring of Honor in this era, which was another thing that really dates this era of Ring of Honor, which is the occasionally you would get a promo where the wrestlers would reference a recent poll happening on the Ring of Honor message board, and I just think like don't really do a lot of polls these days anymore. And but that used to be a thing that like the wrestlers and I think probably even Gabe would look like they would just be like, here's a poll, like who should have the match tonight, you know, who should do this, and so literally having a champion making a whole promo, getting angry at the results of an online poll classic right yeah you on. know but i find it charming it is it, it again it's it, it's like when you saw those early like those clips of like the ring of honor offices and you see like the the old blocky like crt computer monitor you know like i i like that stuff. it, it takes me back to my to when i had hopes and dreams matt but that brings us to the Briscoes, Jay and Mark, defeating Conrad Kennedy III, CK3, and Jimmy Rave, scored to the ring by Alex Shelley, Daisy Hayes, and Prince Nana. The Briscoes win in twelve fifty six when Mark Briscoe pinned CK3 after he hit the cutthroat uh, driver. Matt, what do you think of, of this match? Especially, um, this is another match where... um. A crap ton of, of toilet paper gets thrown in for the entrance. This happens, of course, during every Jimmy Rave match. But Dave Prasik on commentary calls it maybe the most toilet paper ever for the embassy. I don't know. My memories of quantifying amounts of toilet paper is not good. It was put to the test during the uh, the pandemic. But it is one of the biggest um, showers of toilet paper we've seen thus far.
1: I feel like it was the biggest um, that we've seen. I, I, I described it as epic <laughs> and and also, I wrote that it was insane. Like, it doesn't stop. Like, even during Nana's pre-match promo, they're throwing they're throwing more and more toilet paper. It's a lot of toilet paper. They
0: and do I, not effectively clear it up. Like, there's still little scraps of paper in the ring when the match starts.
1: Yeah, and I think it pretends to some of the, like, rowdiness of the crowd later. Like, they just want to throw shit. Like, it's, yeah. it's very interesting. The Briscoes got a huge reaction for their return to Chicago. The, the crowd is so hot in this first, you know, part of this show. But I think that helps this match a lot too. Cause in some ways, this was a weird match. Cause A, the Briscoes are working babyface, which they're not babyfaces, but obviously they're against bigger heels. So they're working babyface. Also, they, it's not a squash match, but they are very dominant here. Like a huge portion of this match is them on offense, but the pace is really breakneck. And I really enjoyed that. Like it was just, you know, this wasn't a great match, but it was a lot of fun to watch. Like, you know, they do some fun early wrestling with CK3. Mark kicks him right in the face when he's gloating. Um, you know, Rave, he does a bit more stalling than he did the night before in that four-way. But it's not like excessive stalling like we've seen other times. Um, at one point, Jay taunts Rave and Rave spits in his face. So Jay just beats the crap out of him and the Briscoes beal him across the ring. And then they double-team launch him into the air. So I just wrote like, yeah, it is fun watching them be faces. Um, but, you know, Jay goes flying over the top rope with a leaping clothesline on a CK3 and Mark hits the shooting star press. Um, and like the Briscoes are just on fire, um, until Rave cuts off Jay with a clothesline when Jay goes for a dive. Um, but he's, you know, he's not off offense for long. He does a a Rana, an elbow, um, uh, uh, Briscoes, they work over Rave in the corner and do some more of their cool combos, um, So like, so like, it's, it's interesting because the Briscoes are like almost getting the heat on rave, even though they're the baby faces here. Um, I just, I just noted here in this ROH tag matches. I mean, I don't know if you feel the same way as me, but like, aren't ROH tag matches just kind of weird? Like during this era, like the psychology of these matches is just very non-traditional. I don't know if that's something that you've picked up on also, but like, I, I I find it.
0: Sorry. Putting, putting, again. no, I was just going to say, like, just like going to your point earlier, you know, the Briscoes now being in this position where they're kind of the baby faces because no one's going to be a heel against the embassy at this point when, you know, you just did the night before and are going to do later in the night, like these heat getting, or at least trying to get heat angles where they're attacking, you know, Ares and Strong and, and Kenta. Like, yeah, it, it's kind of a weird booking choice. But I, I, I'm part of my thoughts just maybe Gabe just thought, you know, I'm on a run right now where I'm trying to get the Briscoes a bunch of tag wins because I'm wanting to build them up for uh, you know, the third Aries and Strong tag title challenge. And at this point, there were almost no dedicated tag teams in Ring of Honor. Like they originally booked this to be Rave and Shelley. Who else is a dedicated tag team other than Aries and Strong? Rave and Shelley kinda at this point, and Irish Airborne. Yep. I don't think there is another one.
1: That's it. That that that, yeah that's it which is interesting because it's like in some ways it's the strongest tag team division they've had just because aries and stronger are good are good champions and the briscoes are there but it's still very few tag teams um but yeah so finally hayes uh jumps on the apron and kicks jay in the head so the embassy gets to control it for a little while um we uh you know like ck3 is on the attack and we hear nana yelling at him to hit jay harder and Eventually, Jay just hits a big jumping boot for his comeback. So it's a very short heat segment and they both tag out and Mark gets to do his hot tag, which he hasn't gotten to do during this run because he hasn't been a baby face and he's, you know, it's still a good hot tag. Um, we get uh, CK3's pretty cool side lung blower thing, which is a move that I really like a lot. Um, and, uh, Mark knocks Rave off the apron. They, the Briscoes double team CK3 and, Jay holds CK3 up for a springboard spin kick by Mark. Um, We actually get a chop battle between Jay and Jimmy Rave, and Jay does the military press into the Death Valley driver, and Mark hits the cutthroat driver on CK3 for the win. But, like, everything that I said, like, it happens at a really, really good clip. So I just – you know, even though this match had weird psychology and, like, didn't, like, amount to all that much in terms of drama – I thought it was just very entertaining watch the watching the Briscoes do moves. And I think that was what the appeal of this match is.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I thought this like was a strong above average. And uh I thought both teams just brought to the table what they do well. Like I really what really kinda hit home for me watching this match was the Briscoes at this point were one of like the best throwing big bombs acts on the Indies were just like such a high percentage at this point of just their regular offense looked so cool. They had really cobbled together at this, by this point in their careers, like on this second run, um, like a really great selection of, of signature offense that was athletic, modern, but yet in the execution, a lot of it still had a bit more of a weight and a menace to it than like a lot of other of their contemporaries. Like, you know you would watch them do like you know the double tackle or even just when they're coming off with the uh like the springboard heart attack variations and stuff like the briscoes just feel like a little bit like harder hitting even when they're doing very athletic cool modern indie offense it's crazy so, to me.
1: it's crazy to me that wwe didn't sign them like even well before that whole incident on twitter like like they they were ready to be tv stars i would say within like a year of this because the their promos continue to get better especially jay's like they you know what i mean like they didn't establish those like that dem boys characters that would make them just like iconic yet but i feel like they they could have been stars on wwe tv within a year or two of this if the if
0: wwe was open to it yeah, they were um, so posh. and, and, and I, I, that's a that's a great point too. Is we were talking about like the the stage of Colt Cabana's career was at at the time of the show. Yeah, I think you nailed the hit, put hit the nail on the head. Where like this is the point that Briscoe's career where like they've kind of are now finding their I, the, like their wrestling was always great. It's even better in some ways now, and they're kind of finding their, their you know they've changed their bodies where they've now grown from like te- gangly teenager bodies to like. Honkin' muscular men bodies, and they are. Uh, Did you say honkin'? Yeah, big honkin', big honkin' masculine men bodies, Matt. Okay. Yeah that, yeah, that term that everyone knows. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but you know. They were, you know, you could see in like tonight, like, they're starting to do the men stuff and they're definitely getting close like the promos are starting to they're they're no longer a negative. They're not as much of a positive as they will be. But yeah, we're getting to the point where like if they were if the Briscoes were like fruits on the vine, they're almost perfectly right now. They're they're they're, they're on their way. And um it's some, a cool honk fruits see them on in. the vine. Some big honking big honking melons, Matt. But um
1: so, Are you saying the Briscoe's so have
0: big boobs?
1: Because I didn't notice those.
0: But uh I don't know what's going on with this episode. But um so um but meanwhile I feel like Rave and CK3 obviously they can't kit with the Briscoe's on cool offense, but I thought their, their old school kind of heel act, uh, especially Rave likes to do, and CK3 is kind of a throwback wrestler. I think it, it plays really well here when you're seeing a team like the Briscos where they're just doing so much cool stuff that like the, the more old school heel stuff kind of pops a bit more and you enjoy it more because whenever the Briscos get on – in control you're seeing that fun actions so you're not going oh this is dragging the match now it's more like oh it just this heel old school heel touches it's just adding like a bit of color to the match so you know like rave spinning in jay's face it just immediately leads to a great run of briscoe's ass kicking you know the daisy hayes heel you know interference and it adds a little bit of color and even if something is like simple as like the ck3 putting someone in a chin lock normally so in a different match you might go oh this is kind of slow this is kind of boring but you know it's just setting up very quickly to another big run of the briscoe's goes going nuts on offense again so uh, i thought it worked really well in this match and watching this match i felt like ck3 probably would have been a better fit for the embassy specifically than ring of honor as a whole like he seems like a perfectly fine serviceable wrestler but his he's one of those guys where his gimmick is kind of a throwback and really i feel that only would have fit in with the embassy where rave is already doing a lot of stalling like ck3 is a guy who in this match like a lot of his offense is so basic. At one point in this match, he hits a body slam, and then he celebrates. Like, <laughs> like that's a very... That's going to stick out in Ring of Honor unless you're in a very specific connota- kind like of framing. And it's especially... Um, it, it's interesting in the sense that, like you mentioned when we talked about the move last night, that lung blower variation that CK3 does, where he jumps on the guy's back, where he does has kind of their own arm pulled across their neck, and then he flips them into the lung blower. And it, this is another night where, like, the crowd reacts really big. Like, like, again, like, it's weird. Like, CK3 is weird, where everything he does is very basic 80s throwback. And then he has this one really cool, really modern move that no one else does. And it's like, I would almost... It's like every I want to see a, just a compilation of him doing this move in matches because so many of these crowds that he does in front of the first time you see it you're kind of lolling this thing off oh he's just going to do very basic stuff and then you see this one move and you can hear so many different crowds even just in this double shot where they're like holy shit what the hell he just did that like what the hell was that and I just thought very out of place but in a cool way I would say
1: yeah I wonder if he used that as I wonder if he used that as a finisher in promotions where they you know let him win. <laughs>
0: but so that was the match and farewell Alex Shelley we will we will not see you for a long time we will miss you but the next time we
1: do see you it will be in one of the most famous tag team matches in ROH history so I'm looking forward to that
0: And that brings us to Samoa Joe, defeating Delirious via pinball in 10 minutes, 57 seconds after he hit the muscle buster. And this was your 2006 mid-card Samoa Joe match. He is playing his hits at a kind of laid-back pace. To, and to be clear, I always say this, I don't blame him for this. He's at the point where he had just been going through some injury trouble. TNA was becoming his top priority. And to be fair, Joe is at – I think this match is a good – like. Case study of why Joe could had risen to the point in Ring of Honor where he's already kind of a legend in Ring of Honor to these fans where he could just play the big hits and the fans would be perfectly happy with it because um, like he can get away with being Samoa Joe in Ring of Honor at this point instead of working like Samoa Joe. If that makes sense, like an example would be the very start of this match where the bell rings. Delirious does his act where he runs all around outside the ring and just freaks out, jumps over and over and he runs back in the ring and Joe just stands like motionless the whole time. And then, you know, Delirious has this whole running around and then he runs at Joe and Joe just like raises his fist and Delirious runs into it. And it, it gets a huge reaction as an example of just joking at a huge reaction, just playing off his aura of, He's the badass who's not gonna play along with your games. You know, he barely has to do anything at that point. And then most of this match is Joe being the crap out of Delirious. It's doing his standard spots. The the most enjoyable parts of this match for me are the ones that stick out and play off the comedy of delirious, like um that opening bit or delirious at one point bites joe's leg and joe does a really good sell. he's like ah get him off me get him off me to the ref like really good kind of screaming sell. or they do a whole s- story throughout the entire match where delirious tries to slam joe over and over and he can't fell into the final attempt where he drops joe like maybe he only like drops him when joe's like two inches off the mat it's like an andre the giant selling i mean slamming I mean Hulk Hogan slamming Andre the Giant WrestleMania three, but it's a good little tease and delivery. But it always, met, I always get a kick out of whenever a wrestler in Ring of Honor tries, like makes a big deal of, like, oh, I can't, sl-. like they treat Samoa Joe like he's six hundred pounds, like he was a big guy. But the, whenever a wrestler acts like, oh, I can't, it's impossible to lift this guy off his feet for some reason, I do always get a, a little bit of a kick out of that because I feel like he's not that big, but. I thought this match was good. It, it was those few unique spots were fun. Joe even on autopilot, I think, can be fun, and I thought the ending was good. I, I you know, Delirious finally takes Joe off his feet after he hits a million clotheslines, and then Joe really teases that Delirious almost has him out cold with the dragon clutch before he makes his comeback. And so, I, I, I enjoyed this match. It was not fantastic, but if Joe's gonna be on autopilot, this is the kind of Joe on autopilot I can get behind.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. This was fun. Um, it's these matches were that are like a mix of comedy and then also like intensity are always a little bit weird. And we're going to see that even more dramatically in, uh, in a later match on this show. Um, but you know, I liked, you know, you know, cause I mentioned this on the, on the throwdown review, the week before Joe was in like uber intense ultimate hard hitting badass Joe mode at, uh, and in your face and now he's like just totally like laid back jovial samoa joe and it's it's very interesting other than the one moment where he does the st joe in the corner on delirious and yells die motherfucker (laughs) because and that reminded me of the way he screamed at green lantern fan at uh (laughs) <laughs> in in your face like i was like jesus like that's that's a random bit of anger from samoa joe but it is weird just to see like you know because they do a lot of comedy here and there's a lot of spots built around delirious trying to body slam joe like he's hulk, hulk hogan and samoa joe is earthquake like where they, they do a thing <laughs> where you know where he, he can't get him up and then later on he picks him up and joe falls on top of him and, and stuff like that so you know that's you know, unusual for a Samoa Joe match to just be like the big guy that the smaller guy wants to body slam. Um, but, you know, it is a lot of Joe just doing offense and the crowd loving his offense. It's actually kind of similar to the previous match in that way, because the that match was all about the Briscoes doing cool offense. This is about Joe doing his cool offense, although I think he's he definitely doesn't show as much intensity as the Briscoes did, um, and also we've seen so much Joe that you know what it looks like when Samoa Joe is being 100% engaged in something, and this obviously wasn't that. But he's so charismatic, and Delirious has good momentum, so the match stayed entertaining the whole way. And by the end, even though Joe was easily the more popular of the two guys, the crowd did cheer on some of Delirious's hope spots near the end. Um, you know, when Delirious locks in the Cobra stretch near the end, the crowd is is buzzing decently. Although it still seems like they're rooting for Joe, um, and um, you know, whenever Joe does his, his his flurry of slaps, the crowd gets really into it. And you know, the ending came pretty abruptly, but that's probably appropriate for a match like this. They didn't want to do too much, so I would say, yeah, I would say this is overall a pretty good, pretty entertaining match, but not much more than that.
0: Yeah, it is a testament to how big of a legend on the Indies and in Ring of Honor, Joe O'Reilly was. Where he had got to the point, which I imagine is like the dream for most wrestlers, where you're so over and your character so well established that you don't have to be 100 percent to like get really good reactions and send the crowd home happy. Because especially on the Indies, especially Ring of Honor, where there were such high expectations, I don't feel like there's a lot of pretty over wrestlers that I feel like couldn't even get away with that. You know, not that it's com. Mailed them but like the idea, i think there's a lot of times in wrestling where we're like you know if this guy isn't doing 100% why is he even here yeah
1: although and, although as we've established i think the idea that ROH is just guys trying to have the best match possible every time no matter where they are in the card it's just not true like the 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 spot on the card definitely influences the uh the style of match that guys work it's not you know i think we're seeing more of that in 2006 than we did in 2005 in terms of people just going for it but you still have that all right this is the third match this is for intermission they're not going to work a main event you know that's it's you're you're still mostly getting that
0: Couple other notes from this match. Uh, the Observer wrote, I don't think this made DVD, Matt. Uh, the Observer wrote Samoa Joe put on a Chicago Cubs hat and got booed because the building is White Sox territory. So I like the idea of Joe like, <laughs> <laughs> maybe like, ah, oh, this is really gonna put me over the top.
1: He should have checked with Cabana or Ace Steel before he did that. By the way, I also noticed there was a Fox. Scott Steiner chant. So I don't know if yeah. they were re- I don't know if they were reacting to like a TNA storyline or if there was something that Steiner like said in a shoot interview or something about Joe. Because obviously I know they feuded in TNA, but yeah. I was just wasn't sure if there was something else beyond that.
0: Yeah, that was the other thing I was going to bring up. This is the era of the, I believe he was shooting with Scott Snyder. So did, was this – had he already cut – I mean we would need a Garrett Kidney to answer this or just someone with a better memory. But like um, was this the – had we had, he, had Scott Snyder already cut the legendary he's fat promo? On well, some I'll, just, I'll just say this.
1: If this ROH crowd was starting a chant to put over a TNA storyline, that would make me a little bit disappointed in them.
0: <laughs> well, I, I believe like at this point – Samoa Joe was having such a good run in TNA early on that I feel like if you're a Ring of Honor fan, I know I was like I was still checking out like the big matches just because I wanted to see Joe and I no, wanted no, to see I, him I like. I was
1: too, but like their storylines still weren't like so good that I'd be like fuck Scott Steiner in this work, <laughs> you know like like you're feuding with each other, so yay Scott Steiner for working with Samoa Joe and putting him over.
0: Two most over heels on this Ring of Honor show, John Cena and Scott Steiner. So um after the match, uh, Dave Prezak mentions that Joe is set to lead team ROH into cage of death, a death before dishonor. That's the next show. Uh, Joe celebrates when the Necro Butcher hits the ring. The crowd chants for Joe to fuck him up. And the two look to be about to brawl. When Claudio Casagnoli runs in, he chop blocks Joe behind necro then puts the boots to him until bj whitmer and adam pierce show up in street clothes they start to fight back nate webb soon joins them with some barbed wire and as joe's being helped to the back Steel comes down and here we go we have a a six-man tag that a cage match at least is labeled as a bunkhouse brawl Claudio Castagnoli, Nate Webb, and Necro Butcher defeated Ace Steel, Adam Pierce, and B.J. Whitmer in 7 minutes, 49 seconds, when Necro Butcher pinned Whitmer after Claudio hit Whitmer in the head with a chair after they put a barbed wire halo on B.J. Whitmer's head. So, yes, uh, B.J. Whitmer, the Hillbilly, man that CM Punk— Hillbilly
1: Jesus, indeed.
0: Yeah, the man that CM Punk used to call Hillbilly Jesus literally got the proverbial crown of thorns here. Uh, Matt, this is the fight. we've seen a lot of these kind of mid-card CZW versus Pierce Whitmer and friends brawls. This is the last one we're ever going to see in Ring of Honor. how do you think this is? We're going if we're saying farewell to a chapter of Ring of Honor, Matt. What'd you think about this one?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously these are super repetitive at this point, but I did think it was pretty fun. I think you know, I think Nate Webb adds a different dimension to it. You know, and I, I also you know, I mean, Hero wasn't there, so it's a different mix. Um, also, the highlight of the match came extremely early because someone in the crowd yelled to necro take a shower and necro just replied i don't need no shower baby and <laughs> to me that was the best part of the whole match um uh, they they brawl outside the ring pretty early pierce hits a very sloppy monkey flip almost sending claudio over the guardrail um and steel hits a tope and they this claudio and pierce are in the ring for like 10 seconds until claudio throws him outside again um the announcers are not on commentary at the beginning. They're like, "Let's get out of here," but then they're back pretty quickly uh, after maybe about 3 minutes and they call the rest of the match. This would be a weird Which match weird to have no this commentary. Match
0: never goes into the crowd.
1: Yeah, it is, but you know what? Good. I think, you know, we, we've seen a lot of that. <laughs> so, um, but there's still a lot of chairs. Um they do the whole thing where they um they put the chairs together, Necro avoids being suplexed on them and then Necro, of course, puts the chairs back to back. And Necro goes for a diamond cutter, but pierce blocks and just backbreakers Necro on the backs of the two chairs. It's, you know, that spot is crazy, but, like, Necro is just going to do that in every single match during this feud? Like, it's a bit absurd, right? Like, okay, it you, literally you don't have to do it
0: always – Yeah, like it is literally his Austin Aries, you can't head scissor me spot where it is so convoluted, like you would think at some point – like if this was real, Necro Butcher at some point, after like the fourth time this backfires, maybe don't put two open chairs together in the ring because it never works out for you. Yeah, no, definitely don't do it every
1: time. Um, So Necro puts Ace on a table and holds him there for Webb to come off the top rope leg drop to the floor. I'm putting him through the table. And then Pierce power slams Webb through that same table, which is always a crazy spot to me when you're like power, when you're like a, you know, putting someone through a table that's already been broken. And, you know, Whitmer hits a, uh, exploder on Claudio and he's bladed at this point. And then we get the barbed wire crown of thorns. Oh, and, uh, Necro pile drivers Whitmer. Ne- Whitmer and Necro fight over the barbed wire ring and necro then like just like struggles and puts it on whitmer's head and then you get the uh, chair shot to the head and necro covers him for the pin i thought that was actually a very cool finish like the way they like fought to get it on his head and then that immediately basically neutralized whitmer and you know made him vulnerable to the chair shot and that that was it that was the finish i, I like that it was non-stop action it wasn't too long you know it was only about like, seven or eight minutes. It wasn't boring. So I think this was one of the better ones of these we've seen in a while. I think this was pretty entertaining and I think a good way to leave it before the uh, the final showdown, so to speak.
0: Yeah, I agree. This would be in like the top third of these that we've seen. Uh, obviously not like the legendary, you know, 100th show match, but uh, it's one of those things where... I know if we had not watched every one of these, I would have enjoyed it more than I did. I still enjoyed it, but it's one of those things I always have to. I always try and consider when I review things, which is, you know, the reviews matches can mean different things to different people. Like if you watched every one of these, you'll probably feel like us, which is that's ah, pretty good. But you know, we've seen we've seen a lot of these. But I imagine if you hadn't, if this was the only Ring of Honor show you bought or went to for like this four month period. This might have been one of your favorite things on the show just because you did see, you know, a huge, you know, spot, you know, if you might have not seen that Necro Butcher gets put on 2 back to back chair spot before you got to see, you know, Nate Webb do a big flying move from the top turnbuckle through a table on the floor. You know, you got to see crazy barbed wire and blood and all that stuff. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Matt, my big pet peeve with this match, though. Is something we've seen a lot, which uh, it, it comes before the match starts, which is Ring of Honor in this feud teased Necro Butcher versus Joe like 17 times and they never give it to you. And I know we got two times before in made itself, but the fact that like they even had it announced on one show and they just did it over, it, like the fact that they keep going back to like they had Joe and Necro do the standoff again, look like, like if I've I mean, I don't remember what my thoughts were at the time, but I have to imagine my thoughts were at the time, like they're teasing this so often it has to be happening. It never happens in Ring of Honor. And you don't even and really get pra- and you
1: don't really even get Joe versus Necro in Cage of Death because um Joe is out,
0: I think, before Necro comes comes out for that match. It just it just really surprises me that they tease it so much and then they never do it. But um now with intermission, Dave Prezak's backstage where he's joined by the Brit. Briscoes, Jaysis, their number one goal is still winning the tag house, but they're now they're also pissed off at Kenta for getting involved in their business last night when he defended Roderick Strong when they attacked Roderick after the match he had with Kenta. They tell Kenta the man-up, so Kenta gets added to the man-up list. Um, I, sh- I
1: should save that- this comment for later, but on this DVD, they have the Briscoes do this exact promo two times. They, mm-hmm. have, they have them do it here before the uh, Kenta attack, and then they have, the, they have them say the basically the exact same thing later after the Kenta attack. It's
0: it's weird to do that yeah like clearly the the briscoe's push is is on like but yeah it was one extra promo sake but but clearly you know they give him a win they want him to do a big run in a major match later they all that stuff but yeah they're doing two of the same promo basically but that brings us to the first match back from intermission the ring of honor pure title match uh nigel McGuinness defeated homicide successfully defending the toe and he defeats homicide by count out in 17 minutes 46 seconds um this match was good but something was missing for me a lot of this match is nigel going after homicide's arm which is enjoyable enough they good sound technical wrestling but we don't really get a lot of use out of the pure rules there's a count out tease earlier and then of course the count out finish but other than that each guy only uses one rope break that's not really a factor in the match um it's enjoyable enough this match moment to moment because these guys are such professionals but i just kept looking for that thing that was going to put stamp on the match to give it some kind of identity never really quite never really gets there except again the count finish i thought was novel and the count finish i will say is one of the better executed account finishes I've ever seen in wrestling where it's a classic Nigel pure tailoring, cheap win where they tease it earlier where, um, Nigel puts homicide through a table and, Homicide gets in at 19, and then later on at the end of the match, they're brawling outside, and I think they did really well where Nigel's kind of desperately hold Homicide's really beaten Nigel down, and Nigel's now desperately holding on to Homicide's feet as they're at the entranceway, doing everything he can just to get the double count out and retain the title. Homicide like desperately fights him off and then starts running to the ring. And then Nigel at that point ducks under a homicide clothesline and then races back to him into the ring. And then what makes this finish so good? Is Homicide then starts running to the ring? He's going to try and make it back too to break to beat out the count, and Homicide's running really fast. The the ref is never break like slowing his countdown, and it just times out perfectly where Homicide is ro- on the apron, starting to roll into the ring just as the ref hits 20. Like it is perfectly often Count T says, you know, the ref or the wrestler has to like slow down awkwardly to make it work perfectly. This, no one slowed down at all, and it just hit absolutely at the perfect moment. He just barely didn't make it, but clearly didn't make it. It was like, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a count fish, and just the mechanics of it worked out as well as that. So match itself just something was missing but I really did like how they pulled off the finish.
1: It's interesting. This is one of those rare matches that I like less than you and especially the finish I liked a lot less than you did. I wasn't crazy about the execution of it. I think that it um I think that it was a good idea on paper since it's in line with some of the stuff Nigel's done before, but I didn't like First of all, that the, the speed of the count was so clearly different than the speed of the earlier count when they were, um, when they did the, uh, the table spot and they were waiting for Nigel, for, uh, Homicide to get back in. They were counting much slower then. I also didn't like that, um, th- um, that like the very last second before they, uh, the Nigel got back in the ring, Homicide hit him with a chair. But then Nigel's just up running to the ring. Uh, it doesn't make, it didn't make any sense to me. I didn't think it was executed so well. Like, I get what you're saying about the timing of it, but I felt like it was a little bit too contrived for me there. Um, as far as the match itself, I really liked the beginning. I thought the last few minutes before the finish were pretty good, but I thought the middle portion of the match was very rough. Like, not very smooth at all. Crowd was dead for it. There were, like, some moments where it looked like the guys didn't totally know what to do, and the match almost felt like it fell apart. Um, when they... Um, When they do the the timekeeper's table suplex, that's when the crowd gets back into it. And I feel like that's when the match gets good again. But there's this whole part in the middle where I just was like, what's going on? Like, what are they doing? And I thought that killed the momentum a lot. Um, but I did like the beginning and the end. I just thought overall the match was pretty disappointing. Um, one funny thing that I, that happened early in, like, when during Nigel's entrance, he has a bruise under his eye. It's not quite a black eye, but it's like, you know, a very noticeable bruise. And someone in the crowd yells at him, What the fuck happened to your eye? Like, he was like angry at <laughs> Nigel for having a bruise. And Nigel just ignored the person. There is one other bit that I noticed about this match, and I actually read a review. I think it's by, um, gosh who who wrote this review um i I'll, I'll look later, but they noticed something okay. so at the beginning of the match, the match starts where homicide attacks Nigel um before the um before the uh instructions for the pure title rules are done being given out, and as part of that, homicide doesn't hear the part where um about you know the countouts like where there's a twenty count and you the title can change hand on uh, change hands on a count out like Nigel misses those instructions, so I don't know if that was intentional to play into the finish mm. or just a coincidence i think it was um i i don't know how to pronounce his name but like Mixal's m m c x a l um what mm. what's the you know he his reviews uh he's, yeah. he does he's written a lot of r o h reviews um uh, you know, if you could follow him on Twitter. Uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce his uh, his name, but that's a uh, you know he he pointed that out, and I thought that was a really good point, and that does add a little bit to the cleverness of the finish.
0: Yeah, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but that that is really interesting. I think the one thing you and I can both agree about this match is is disappointing when two guys have a good match. And then they 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 kind of regress and in, in not for any real good reason because I think we both like they had a match it might have been in 2004 maybe 2005 in Ring of Honor where like Nigel was just starting to get a little bit of a push Midnight Express reunion. it was like one, yeah it was one of the first like significant matches Nigel got and I thought I think that match is was clearly better than this one so it's kind of disappointing that like two years later. They can at least get to that level. I still... Yeah, I mean, the, the, the I dynamic was you, different.
1: But, they were trying to do more. Uh, I, You know, I I think that's... You know, just I think the goals were different. I think
0: that's probably what changed the, yeah. the quality of the match. But if you do want to see a better Nigel homicide match, definitely that's one to check out. Um, so anyway, uh, Dave Meltzer, we'll get to this, this is when... Uh, this is when we start seeing the bottle. So Dave Meltzer wrote in the observer fans hated the finish to this match, but that was expected as the idea was homicide flipped out and threatened to quit. The negative from TNA was that fans started pelting the ring with garbage and plastic water balls at this point Poor TNA taking a lot of flack here, but yeah. So yeah, that's what we see. So I'll just, the, the segment itself after the match, the crowd starts throwing things to the ring. They start loudly chanting bullshit. Homicide proceeds to have a classic homicide tantrum. He throws chairs, tears off one of the ring skirts, um and pierce gets in the ring and tries to calm homicide down to no avail instead homicide leads to the crowd dave prazak tries to stop homicide as homicide's about to lead through the entrance door and he, you know prazak's asking like what's your deal man what's your deal and homicide says this company's done nothing for me fuck this company and he proceeds to leave the building and then matt there's this great moment it might be the image for the show i, I think don't know. i
1: think i know what you're gonna say and i was thinking the same yeah. thing
0: there's a great one where the camera peeks through the open door to the outside to try and find homicide, and we see a middle-aged man is just standing there outside the building. He sees the camera and he immediately like moves to get away from the camera. Like this man did not want to be filmed. He's just like, whoop! Yeah, I uh, wish I wish crap. we could use
1: I wish we could use a, a GIF as our thumbnail. Yes, I said GIF. What, what of
0: it? <laughs> But yeah, that. But and, and you know, yeah, this this is a good little bit of storytelling, I would say, of building up the idea of Homicide I said he has to win a Ring of Honor title before the end of the year, or he's gonna leave, and he always feels like he's getting screwed. And this is another match where it perfectly plays into Nigel McGuinness's existing gimmick, because he always wins in screwy ways like this. And so for Homicide to then be on the recipient, receiving end of that, and just to feel like, God damn it, like this company keeps cheating me out of things. You know, even though technically it wasn't that really a dirty finish. Yeah, I mean, lost I mean count I, out, listen,
1: I don't really think that Homicide has that much of a beef here. I mean, I don't really feel like Nigel cheated that much, and Homicide hit Nigel with the chair. So, like, I get not, that Homicide's frustrated, but I don't think this is a really strong example of Homicide being screwed. Yeah. Uh, but but, this, but is the, this is the cliffhanger before Cage of Death, this moment right here. Yeah.
0: Yeah, especially with the Adam Pierce being the guy to try, as the interim, you know, commissioner trying to talk about, I mean, all that will come to a head at the end of the next show. Um, but uh, yeah, even if this wasn't really a big screw job, it's certainly one of those finishes that the homicide character would consider a screw job because right, the homicide right. character gets mad at a lot of things. Yes. So, um,
1: right. There's one point, there was one point in the match where, um, where Nigel kicked out and, like Homicide teased that he was going to attack Todd Sinclair, and yeah. you know he got really, really mad, but he didn't because he was mm-hmm. he was controlling. Him. There were actually a lot of spots early in the match where Homicide was was about to punch Nigel, and then did a wrestling hold. Like so, that was like that was the good stuff. That's why I like the early part of the match, but just that middle portion just dragged it down a lot for me.
0: Well, that brings us to our semi-main event, Kenta. Defeats Austin Aries via pinfall in 20 minutes 50 seconds after it's the go to sleep. So obviously this is one of the big selling points of the show. We we disagreed somewhat on the Roderick Strong Kenta match. Um, what do you think about this one? Obviously this is a another big match for Kenta.
1: I feel like there's a, a diversity of opinion about this match. It's definitely the match that Kenta has been in so far that has the least like. Um, weighty story to it you know it doesn't have like deep psychology but I thought that it was so action-packed and everyone was so on point that I really liked it a lot like I thought it was a great match and better than the Roderick Strong match I um you know it, the main psychology of the match was that they reversed each other's moves they had each other scouted Um, that was really it, but other than that, the real draw of this match was just, they're hitting each other hard, they're doing a lot of cool moves, they do fast mat wrestling to start, you know, kind of amateur style, they, they both slap each other on rope breaks to make statements early, um, they, and they have, they have a slap fight early, you know, Aries does some Japanese arm drags and then they kind of slow it down a bit, um, you know, we, we, we already early on, we have Aries blocking a Kenta strike, hitting an STO and a power drive elbow. Um, there's a spot where Aries goes for a shoulder block from the apron through the rope, but Kenta avoids it, hits a bunch of very hard kicks. I really love Kenta's kicks in this match, even more than usual. And then Kenta does a stomp off the, uh, off the top rope across Aries back with, um, Aries kind of, uh, leaning over the middle rope. I like that. Um, kenta does a kick to the chest that sends aries you know right over and then kenta slows it down i really like kenta's camel clutch that he does here because in st- besides just doing a camel clutch he's like moving his arms back and forth almost like raking aries face in the process um at one point kenta blocks a sunset flip with a really hard slap to the face um, aries actually does his headstand out of the head scissors with kenta lying on his stomach which is a different variation and you know, obviously Aries, there's nothing nothing for Ares to drop kick from that position, but just just a nice little variation of something he usually does. Um they go they go outside for a minute, do some guardrail stuff, but then they go back in the ring, have a strike exchange, it's very hard hitting. They trade big boots to the face, which Kenta wins. Um at one point Kenta does his outside in stomp with the back kick, um, which Goes better than it did the night before in the strong match. If you, if you remember the he did that spot in the Roderick match and kind of misses it. This one he hits mm-hmm. pretty flushly. Um, I thought Ares actually s- stepped up his kicking game in this match because he's not really known for his kicks, but he hits some pretty hard kicks here too. Um, they have another mid ring slap fight and then more Kenta kicks and Ares catches one of the kicks. Does the Shinbreaker back suplex combo and then goes right into his corner drop kick for a two count. I thought that was a really great sequence from the uh the strike battle into this corner drop kick. Um so then Kenta puts Ares in like almost I guess I would call it the shattered dreams position and hits his own running drop kick and then teases another, but instead just slaps Ares really hard and Ares falls to the mat. Um we get some more of their their signature spots. Eventually, um Eric Kenta goes for his uh swinging DDT, but Ares drops into the floor uh hits the heat seeking missile, which i don 't know if you noticed, but Prazak has start call- has stopped calling it by that name you haven 't heard that term in a while it 's just the uh the topate of the outside um, Ares goes right to the top rope when they get back in, but Kenta stops him with a leaping kick um, he goes up top knocks Aries down into the oh uh, Ares knocks him down into the tree of woe. And hits like a tree of road drop kick, then a kick to Kenta's back, then a hanging neck breaker. Um, Kenta blocks a Finley roll, hits a bridging German suplex for two. Kenta hits a tiger suplex with a bridge for another two count. Uh, then uh, Aries ducks a Busai knee, hits a roaring forearm and a lariat, gets a two count off that. Uh, Kenta avoids a brain buster, so Aries switches course and then hits the Finley roll, uh, goes up top but Kenta does the leaping falcon arrow, gets a big near fall that the crowd goes nuts for. Um, Ares actually reverses the go to sleep into a so-so crucifix bomb, probably the weakest reversal spot of the match, but it was a cool like idea to reverse that into that move. Um, and Kenta keeps countering the brain buster. Ares avoids a German suplex, punts Kenta, then hits the brain buster, gets a two toucan off that. Kenta avoids the 450, Hits the Busaiku knee, hits his strike combo, a second Busaiku knee, and then they'll go to sleep and gets the win. So, I mean, you could hear from that recap just tons of reversals, tons of moves. I could see why somebody might think this match just didn't have a lot of substance to it, but I just thought it was so entertaining. And I really thought Ares stepped up his striking game here had to keep up with Kenta. And I just thought it, it was paced really well. It wasn't too long. The crowd was hot. I really, really enjoyed this.
0: Oh, Matt, we really disagree on the Roderick Strong-Kenta match, and we completely agree about this match. Um, For the first two-thirds of this match, I was enjoying it, but it wasn't quite connecting to me, which seems like it was a theme on this undercard. It felt more like two, like the things you said that people could criticize this match about, right? Like it felt like true wrestlers training all their normal signature moves. And I know you're thinking, well, Trevor, isn't that all wrestling? And well, yes, but I think the magic of wrestling is it's the unique things opponents bring out of each other, be it like stories or elements of their characters or personality, or just other offense meshes. And, I wasn't getting in the first two thirds of this match much apart from them doing their moves to each other. Like, yeah, Ares was responding to Kenta's prickish stiffness and kind, which was cool. But that's kind of a story of a lot of people who wrestle Kenta, because Kenta kind of brings that out of you by being such a stiff, angry asshole. But, um,. I- uh, basically, where I wrote my notes was up to this point, I was hearing a lot of notes, but I wasn't hearing a song, which is a very pretentious thing to write, which I, I then wrote, man, just to kind of cover for myself in yeah. my own notes because yeah. that's how insecure I am. I'm going I'm uh, to have
1: to agree with you. That is a pretentious thing to write. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Wrestling is the, jazz,
0: man. But then there's a level you can go to in terms of action where on just a simple dumb level of cool moves that are cool, it overwhelms all of that. And I think they got to that in the final third. But more than that, I think that's when they did start to find their song, Hepcats um they started finding all the like you mentioned all these cool ways of their offense fit together like puzzle pieces all the things you mentioned so like you said like kenta's big tornado ddt where he lands on the apron and kind of ch- just drops the guy fro- first over the top rope like by by aries countering that and sending kenda flying to the f- floor it sets him up perfectly for the heat-seeking missile which he always does you know when kenta does the jump up to the top rope Falcon Arrow, which he does in a lot of his matches. He doesn't just do it; he waits to do it when when Aries does his whole Finley roll. I'm going to jump to the top turnbuckle move that he usually does, and then, like you mentioned, the uh, the go to the sleep into the crucifix. I like the idea that they they clearly thought before this match. Oh, like there's a lot of ways where our biggest moves kind of like naturally link into each other's stuff, and, and they and they like explored all of that in the back through of the match, and the match just on a big dumb two guys doing really fun, explosive offense to each other. It just, it just works. And I got to the point where by the end I was just like, yeah, this is a great match. Even if it does another match that really is devoid of a lot of psychology and story in some ways. And I feel like the, the the crowd kind of must, in some ways, maybe they agreed with me because at the start of the match, they're really hot in the middle. They kind of quiet down. They're still watching intently. And by the end, they're fully back and doing this is awesome chance. Like, like, it, that that was kind of the way I felt in this match where I kind of was in the middle kind of like, Oh, this is good. But, eh. and then by the end, I'm just like, well, you've won me over. This is great. Um, and I, and I would agree. I think this, even though I like the Rodrick strong Kenta match more than you, I think this is better than the Rodrick Kenta match. I would put this at like four and a quarter stars. If I had to give it a star rating, it's just, it's just, um, a bigger feeling match. Like I feel like the Strong-Kenta match had more of an identity in that I like the idea that Strong is like Ring of Honor's resonant hard hitter, and he's taking on one of the hard hitters in all of wrestling. But I feel like even though this match didn't really have even a story on that level, they did more in this match. They went further. And it, by the end, I felt like they were just trying to mesh better. And it's just the more exciting, bigger, for lack of a better term, feeling match. And I... Uh, one other thing did you notice, too, is you know, Aries is hitting Kenta hard. You mentioned that. You know, he's responding in in kind. But like, I feel like even though I didn't feel like like Kenta was hitting Aries that much harder, everything Kenta does just feels stiffer. I feel like part of that's probably like the aura of Kenta at this point. Like, Kenta hitting. I, I feel like I could watch Kenta like kick a guy and watch another five wrestlers kick a guy just as hard, and Kenta's kick would still feel harder to me as a home viewer. There's just something about the anticipation now, knowing that's who Kenta is. It also, just there's a difference in the sound,
1: like the sound of the kick. Like a hard Kenta kick sounds different than a hard Aries kick. Like it's just like – it sounds like a thud versus like a, re- a thing that's designed to elicit a cool sound for – you know what I mean? Like it's it's just yeah. different. Like I mean part of it is also like that's Kenta's thing and it's not Aries' thing. And Aries was sort of like stepping out of the norm to do these stiff kicks whereas like that's what Kenta was all about.
0: And the fact that he's just going full bore one week after, you know, he was basically knocked out in that, in your face match. Um, wild and so we one thing we didn't talk about which ends up being for at least dave Meltzer, the big story of this match was there's a big dueling let's go kenta let's go aries chant that goes on i would say for five minutes like five minutes straight and after the first minute or two it's a probably like maybe a sixth of the crowd so it's a small portion of the crowd chanting back and forth and the rest of the crowd's like Done with it, they're just watching the match, and it keeps going, and a point, it gets to the point where there are people in the crowd start chanting, shut the fuck up at them, and that gets them to shut up. Um, Dave Meltzer went on a big old rant, man. We'll go to the Observer. Dave wrote, there was a dueling, let's go Kenta, let's go Aries chant that went on for five minutes. Then others in the crowd started a shut the fuck up chant. Maybe we should post on the doors at Ring of Honor shows the rules for fan behavior so people who are sad that it's not still 1985 don't have to complain about how fans who enjoy the matches react. Seeing the size of Chicago, there are less than a thousand people who come to shows like this. It's not WWE. You should be thankful wrestling of this caliber is being presented and that there are enough people enjoying it at, so that it doesn't go out of business as opposed to complain about the kind of people who are keeping it alive, not behaving to someone's outdated specified standard that you should behave like it's 1975 at a wrestling match in 2006. It's a lot better than the alternative of guys busting their ass at a WWE show to no reaction since the people don't think they're important since they've never been on television. So, Dave Dave
1: is reading a lot into those chants. Um, I um. You know the funny thing is, uh, being alive at a lot of shows. Like I'm certainly not somebody who approves of chanting "shut the fuck up" at people who are just chanting for the wrestlers, but I don't necessarily always correlate those dueling chants with people being into the match. I think I've heard a lot of – I've been to a lot of indie shows where people do dueling chants, and then when they're not doing those chants, they just don't react to anything. You know what I mean? Like they're just like – they're having these dueling chants, and then they're quiet. So it's like – it's almost like they're chanting for the sake of chanting as opposed to because they're respecting the wrestlers. Again, I would certainly never chant shut the fuck up, and I'm not supporting that. But I think Dave is assuming a lot about both parties here.
0: Yeah, and – so my theory about cha- my, my my thoughts about chanting in general are as long as you're not doing something really hateful or cruel to in general or something that's really calling out a specific audience audience member. I feel I generally feel like you pay money for a ticket, you can chant what you want, and if the wrestlers don't like the chant, it's on them to create a match that gets the fans to change, stop chanting, and doing something else. But I, I will say I think Dave went a little hard because this chant, I don't know if it was quiet at this level, but maybe I, I'm kind of dating myself. I don't know how many of our listeners will remember this. But like during this era, there was something that kind of became a clipped thing from a, a different indie where Super Dragon was wrestling and there was one fan that would not stop chanting Super Dragon a- and he would just stand, chant Super Dragon like – the match was going for minutes and minutes and minutes until the people were like, "Get stop it, please. And this fan was not – and it started to feel at that point like this fan, he was not doing it because he really loved Super Dragon. It felt like he was doing it because – He
1: wanted attention.
0: He, Yeah, he just thought it was funny or something. And Super Dragon famously, as Super Dragon likes to do, got in this fan. So even though this fan was chanting for him and like nearly assaulted this guy. Like so this didn't quite feel like on that level, but it did start to feel like – these fans are doing something just to do it? Like, are they really that into this? Well,
1: that, yeah, that's what I'm saying. There, I mean, there is the thing yeah.
0: of people doing
1: things to get, quote, get themselves over, for lack of a better term. And I get why that's annoying. Um, the, but, but as far as, like, you know, the only real inoffensive chant that I – find really annoying to this day is the we want tables chant just because yeah. I just I, we've talked about this, I just don't understand it, and like I've heard people chant these like during just totally random matches, and like it's like, why do you want tables right now? like watch the match like it doesn 't make any sense um and obviously that's not like a problematic chant or anything it's just it's just annoying to me personally,
0: I especially hate that in any match where like they're already doing things that are more violent than a table break, yeah, and they're still asking for tables like some matches like guys are bleeding they're they're, like putting sharp objects in each other's head they're like throwing around chairs and stuff and then people still like we want to see you go through a a thin piece of particle board it's like really like why that's that's my my question why do you want to see that so bad i wonder do you think any fans now since so many indies have had to shift to uh using doors instead of tables do you think anyone chants we want doors uh, at, the, uh, at that point, is a promoter missing a great opportunity of just playing like "Light My Fire" over the house speakers, in a really goofy joke that only would appeal to you and me, and well, probably just me.
1: Let's <laughs> let's hope that we get there to the "We Want Doors" chance, and then we can hate those chance too. It'll be great.
0: <laughs> so one th- one thing I want to mention too, a little cute moment. So before the Roderick Strong Kenta match on the last show the night before, uh, you know the fans were, were chanting like "Break his ba- back, break his back, Rody or whatever," and um kenta like looked around and rubbed his back and tonight when the crowd's chanting austin aries before aries even comes out kenta puts his hand over his eyes and mimes that like he's looking around for aries so i like that Kenta's being very kind of playful both these nights i thought that was cute and um and also i think it's it's good to know like gabe really put kenta over huge Like, like like credit to gabe you know there are some bookers that they would be more worried, or they would have too much of an ego about putting guys over their guys. You think about how they've booked Kenta since he started in Ring of Honor. He comes in instantly, he main events final battle, and he defeats Loki, who granted was not long for this Ring of Honor world, but like one of the major Ring of Honor stars, still one of the legends, beats him clean. Then you have Kenta come back, team up with Marafuji, Russell, Samoa Joe, and Brian Danielson, probably the two biggest stars I would argue in Ring of Honor history. Beats them, then you have him come back three-way non town match again. Uh, Danielson and Strong beats not not only beats them, beats um you know Danielson the champ, clean. Then you have him face the tag champions, Strong and Aries in back-to-back singles matches. Beats both of them clean. Like that is an um, that that is basically you know and you know he did not. You know b- build solo like Gabe instantly was like, "I'm gonna book this guy in the biggest matches. I mean, the one match he's holding back that he will get to is Danielson Kenta solo well that, but and that's really why he was, he's
1: putting Kenta over so big because he's building to that match,
0: yeah, but I feel like some bookers like it's such a simple thing, but I feel like some book so many bookers in wrestling history do not do that good, simple booking. We're just gonna book this guy strong as hell. We are gonna book almost every dream match you wanna see right off the bat and we'll save one for the end, you know? Yeah, and no, I mean, it's,
1: it's a good way to go, I think. Uh, pretty much everyone was satisfied with Kenta's run in ROH at this point.
0: Yeah, so after the match, the Bristol's run in, they attack Ares, and unlike the last night where they just attacked Strong, they attacked Ares and Kenta now because Kenta helped Strong after, in the attack the night before. Roderick Strong, speak. Him makes the save and then chases them away. And then Strong raises Aries and Kenta's hands, both of them, to a big ovation. Please come back, chance for Kenta. So a very successful weekend for Kenta. And that brings us to the main event, the Ring of Honor World Title Match. Brian Danielson successfully defends the title when he defeats Colt Cabana. But unlike last time, he does not go five minutes. This time, Danielson wins via pinfall in 29 minutes, 40 seconds, almost half an hour with a small package. I felt like Matt. This match was kind of the opposite of the last one, where it did have that music. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep saying that now. But here's, it well, beat, well, it was bebopping Black- and scatting all over the place. <laughs> it was big and honking. But um, Danielson <laughs> um, he almost always has this music. Uh, I would say, and that's in, in a sense. Well, it's fascinating to watch Brian Danielson during this era. It's something I noticed watching this match where. If you watch Danielson in this era, more than most wrestlers I've ever seen, he's always constantly like, adjusting things, tweaking things, adding new ideas, adding moves, taking moves out. Like, he's been doing this recently and before this. Um, match, but he does it in this match as well, where he got the I have till five referee spot really over, right, where, you know, he holds a move, the guy gets to the ropes, and he holds it till four, goes I have till five. That bit got over big, and then now on the show, and a couple of other recent ones, he starting to shift it, where the first time the crowd expects him to say it, and they're starting to say it, he, like, Tells the crowd, like, no, I'm not going to say it. Fuck you. And then later he pulls it out when maybe they're not expecting it. And it's such a Brian Danielson thing, right? Like, it plays on, on one hand to his heel character at this point, which is the idea of I'm, you're, no one can tell me what to do. I'm going to do things when I want to do them on my terms. But it also is a classic, I think, Brian Danielson, the person in general, which is if something gets over, you get the feeling like Brian Danielson almost gets bored with it or like it's too easy for him. And he'll have to tweak it or in the case of something like the airplane spin – Get rid of it almost entirely. Like, and I feel most well, wrestlers would never do that. They well, that's, would, that's like the artist,
1: like, that's the artistry of him. Like, you know, it's, it's sort of like certain comedians, like, you know, there's a school of thought in, in like comedy where there's some like old school comedians are like, where, you know, you got a routine and you, you play the hits and then like the modern comedians, like, you know, you know, I guess, you know, George Carlin's like one of like the early examples of this is where like you build up a strong, like hour, you. Take it on the road, then you do it for a national audience, and then you dump it and come up with something brand new because you don't want to just repeat yourself and I think Danielson is kind of the wrestling version of that where it's like you're he doesn't want to repeat himself, and obviously he does have signature spots, obviously, like and he gets same old shit chance in this match, but he's always going to challenge himself to do something at least slightly different because he's. You know I know it's cliche, but he he is an artist when it comes to wrestling
0: that's a really good analogy it, but it's especially different because a lot of comedians now feel that way like yeah' become i think
1: it's that's become the norm but like you know no norm, no, no like, norm like, McDonald like, pun intended but uh, you know for at one point it was absolutely not the norm
0: yeah like even a Jerry Seinfeld for a time or like a Roddy Dangerfield or something you could Probably see them ten years apart and see hear some of the same jokes, right? Exactly. And if it was great, they kept it. But I feel like the thing I was just going to say is. The thing that makes Danielson unique is wrestling. I feel like almost no one does like that George Carlin modern, modern comedian way. Almost every wrestler I feel like if you find something that works, you're going to do that for the rest of your goddamn life. And Danielson, like even the yes thing, when he went to AEW, he was like, I'm not going to do the yes thing anymore. And yeah, maybe part of that was, that's, he just real, felt like he that's didn't.
1: really bold for him to just be like, you know what? I'm just not going to do the thing that made me a superstar. Like, you know, that's, 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 that was one of his bolder moves. And then what was really cool was like in that, climactic moment in the match with mjf at revolution he did it you know like he he, he yeah. started putting his fingers in the air for the first time in aew and it's like you know you can if you withhold it long enough that when you the moment you bring it back is extremely meaningful you know he's so he's so smart about those things
0: yeah, it, it's it's like the uh, the airplane spin where we watched for a time where he was doing it in like pretty much every match and he got over and then he got rid of it. But then we've seen this – like he still brings it out like in this era very rarely. But like if it's appropriate, you know, he'll bring it out as like a treat and – but he will not do it every match. And I don't know how many wrestlers have like willingly like like shelved as many like really over spots – or finishers or gestures as brian danielson even stuff like he got the big long beard over and then he's just like eh bored i'm bored with this i'll get rid of the beard like he just i'll change it up you know he 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 just is an amazing that's one of the reasons he's one of the greatest of all time he's just such an interesting wrestler in that sense and or or even another example i'll just look at my notes like look at finishers like most wrestlers they have two regular finishers some wrestlers only have one danielson at this point had the cattle mutilation he had the crossface chicken wing, which he just started the year before against um, James Gibson when he won the title. He has the MMA, like, elbows that result in the ref stoppage that he just started getting over not that long ago. And then he has, also has a few moves he can occasionally win with. Like, a very rarely, he'll win with a roaring elbow. I think he beat Christopher Daniels recently, you know, in this timeline with it. You know, the Regoplex whatever. And at this point, he has all these moves, including one that he's just, again, starting to get over with MMA elbows. And on this match, in this show, he says, you know what? I'm gonna get over another. I'm gonna start getting over the small pack. I'm gonna bring back the small package as a finisher. Like only Brian Danielson would be like, you know, I have like five or six over finishers. That's not enough. I'm, I'm, you know, you know what? I'm gonna pick the small package. Like just you know. And, and I guess the thing that really I think before I get to the rest of the match uh, and end this love fist of Brian Danielson. Guess what, folks? Brian Danielson's a good wrestler. Um, I, I feel like so many wrestlers. And I don't mean this as, as a criticism at all. I think this is a sensible way to look at it. I think most wrestlers, they look at how, wrestling as w- every night, what can I do to get o- do tonight that will get over with the fans, that will get a pop, that will make the fans happy? And that's the job, and they probably get they get some enjoyment out of that. And I'm sure Danielson considers that a lot too, but with m- there's a bunch of things you see from Danielson where more than most wrestlers, I feel like he's trying to answer the second question, which is, what's going to be fun for me tonight personally? Like I feel like Danielson do, does things where it's like maybe that I could do something that would get more over with the fans or something that would make this easier for me to like entertain the fans. But you know what? It's more fun if I do this different thing. And I feel there's so few wrestlers that probably think that way, which but is then,
1: just amazing. But then in the end, that makes it more fun for the fans too.
0: Yeah, it does. But I, I don't think many – again, I don't think many wrestlers at all – think that way i don't think wrestlers have that kind of artistic kind of like like when you watch brian danielson have a match sometimes it feels like you're watching a guy play like in a good way like he's just having fun and kind of dicking around it, like in a real fun way so anyway this match if you go back to danielson being like the guy who's about the music you know not just the notes you know the the little things and not the moves like improving in the moment it's stuff like last night matt we saw on, on the last show three weeks ago for us in podcast time we saw the three-way danielson Jacob's um, Whitmer where Jimmy Jacobs nose starts bleeding and organically in the moment Danielson starts doing a move he's done occasionally where he grabs the guy's nose and then like slaps the nose while he's holding on to it. And he does it a bunch and because it organically came up in that match. In this, so then this match, one night later, it's probably still on Danielson's mind. He starts doing it to Colt all the time and eventually Colt reacts organically to it where he starts grabbing Danielson's face and it becomes this little organic thread in the match where throughout the match they're like both grabbing each other's face during the match and kind kind of digging at it to break holds. And it's like that's the kind of stuff I love about wrestling where it where it does feel like more about moves where Daniel said this little thing that came organically the night before. It's on his mind, so he decides to do it again. And Colt is a point for this night, and it's like, you know, I'll start playing into that then. Fine, I'll start doing it. And to me that's what makes wrestling fun. And I, I like that stuff. Wrestling doesn't have enough of it. And then um but what if if this match is missing something. It's missing a little bit of what the last match had, which is just the big, huge, dumb, fun action thrills. So there's some of that. Don't get me wrong. The final five minutes are pretty damn exciting. and They it, they trade the big stuff in the way you'd expect. But there's this is a match that's almost half an hour. And a lot of this is one of those very slow-building Danielson matches that you know from very early on. It's going to go long. A lot of the early stuff doesn't necessarily feel essential. It feels like kind of Danielson- that the way dancing matches can do sometimes where it feels like he's kind of finding the story you know i'm gonna wrestle around t- until i find something that kind of catches my fancy and then we'll take the match in that direction I-, I like the colt stuff here i thought colt did a really good performance he's super confident here as the match starts and he's just so over the top in his pandering to chicago he's referencing so many chicago landmarks yelling out loud he's like we're gonna to go to the wiener circle and get a hot dog after this like he's just over the top yeah hometown Lake, Lake, baby driving phase. down lakeshore drive and just cruising yeah, he's he's like referencing every Chicago thing he can. And um, the first 10 minutes of this match, pretty relaxed, paced, technical wrestling. They nicely, slowly ratchet up the action from there. It's entertaining because these two are really good at what they do, but it's not always like a pulse-pounding, thrilling moment. But overall, I thought this was on the border of very good and great. I would go like three and three-quarter to a four-star match, which for you know for Danielson – you know, that's like the low end of what I would say from Danielson in this era, but I still really enjoyed it. One thing I will say I'll end on is I did think they had kind of a bit of a missed opportunity here because this whole match, the whole story of this match, it's playing off of the match that they did had before, which was the one that Colt lost in five minutes. And obviously – very rarely in wrestling in general, especially in Ring of Honor, does a world title match end in five minutes on a flash pin. And I thought they could have played on that more. They don't really do a lot of quick flash pin tees or anything like that. There's I think, one I think moment. Did, I think
1: they did the one backslide that, like at the five yeah. minute mark, that Colt kicked out of, and like that was the that was the big um, reference.
0: Yeah, it, yeah, and that, I love that, and they did that, uh, you know, when I was looking at the time, it was right around the five-minute mark, and I don't know how many people caught it, because I don't even think commentary really calls attention to the timing on that. But, no, they did, but they, they, they thought,
1: did, they, they mentioned it, because then like a minute later, they're like, oh, and now we have hit the six-minute mark, so Colt has surpassed the previous match.
0: Yeah, so um, I was just wondering, like, did they call attention to it when he did the backside? like, oh, he could have beaten him right at the same time he beat him last time. But apart from that, they don't really do any flash pins or something, and I thought that would have been really neat. The, I, I felt like you could have made some hay teasing a lot of those early on, but they, they really don't. But overall, I, I really like the end too because Danielson pulls out the small package, but I always like when a guy he pull, gets he like pulls out. on He a,
1: pulls out the small package. Never mind.
0: <laughs> oh my god. The way he pulls out his small package for everyone to see. This was, a, this was a real honking match. All right, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, the way he pulls it out, I always love when a guy wins on a flash pin to do it this way, where Colt has, is completely dominating the match at the end. Like he's hitting all his moves. He's the momentum's all on his side. He hits his big finisher, the Colt Forty Five, and then as he covers Danielson, turns it into the small package. I, I love that because it, it, it you know it's one of those things where it doesn't. It, it's a clean win for the heel, but it still almost feels like he got lucky, even though it's he didn't really get lucky. It just feels like almost like if anything, Matt, it's something I have a lot of experience with. It's a desperation small package. That's something I mm, say in my mm. life a lot.
1: Yeah. Um yeah so for me the like the one thing that i notice about this match like whatever you want to say about the quality i don't know that i can ever think of a match i've ever seen that was like this match in the sense that like this was like an they tried to do an epic length world title match but also work in a lot of comedy um which makes this a completely unique viewing experience and you got to give them credit for that um on the other hand like, you mentioned the missed opportunity from the uh, the uh previous match where he lost in five minutes. Obviously, Colt works this match with a lot of drive and intensity and purpose. But do you think it would have made more sense for the character, for Colt to be like, all right, I'm going to drop some of the shtick here and just, like, be more intense? Like, obviously, that would have made this match less unique. But do you think that it would have made more sense character-wise?
0: Yeah, you know... It kind of, I felt like he kind of tried to find a middle ground, and for the most part, he felt he walked the line. I don't but, know, I felt there was a lot of comedy in this. <laughs> well, I even think, like, even the stuff where he's just like, he's a very, he, like, well, the one thing I will say, especially contrasting with that promo that we both liked, but you really liked early, that serious promo where he's kind of really getting up, he's almost a little too loose, I would say, to start the match when we're talking about, um, like all the references to, like, you know, Wiener Circle, all this stuff, where it's, he's almost a little too joke, like, it, it, in the story of the match, he should be kind of tense, right? Like,
1: yeah, right. Like, he should be like, I'm like, I am all business right now. Like, and so for but me, that's just not, I guess that's just not him, you know? But I mean, we did yeah, see like, him like that with the homicide, but he kind of went all the way back to the way he was before.
0: Yeah, so for me, I would say, uh, to your question, it's not so much that there was comedy in this match, because I feel like I've seen a lot of like serious tentacle cult matches that have some of his comedy in it, because that's almost like an undeniable part of cult. It's almost more just how loose he was. And I don't know if you could do the comedy without being loose, so maybe that's more of an argument for your point, which is right. he should have just downplayed the comedy, but it was more, I just know the loosest of it, like the story of the match and how he works and how relaxed he is, yeah, uh, that was kind of... Not a clean fit for me.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. But like, like I said, it does make the match interesting to do all that to do all that stuff. Like, you know, Colt, you're right. He is loose. Like, and actually, it's very charming. Right at the beginning, he's walking uh, around the ringside area, and a, and someone in the crowd yells, "I paid to see you," and Colt replies, "I paid to see you," which I think is a great way to respond to that. Um, um, yeah. But so, like, they, you know, Danielson rings psychology out of just the littlest things. They do a lot of stuff where. Like they're backing each other into the ropes and it's like, are we going to do a clean break? And they really sell that um, a lot. Like, are they going to do a clean break? And they usually do and then sometimes they don't. Um, at one point, uh, alluding to what I said earlier, they have somebody yell in the crowd, if Cole loses, we riot. Because again, that's just on people's minds at this point because of the Cena-RVD match at One Night Stand a few mm-hmm. weeks earlier. Um they also do a lot of playing up this thing where Colt does the spot where he like gives Danielson his wrist and he dares him to uh, to to grab the wrist lock and they play off that a lot like the first time um, Colt is able to turn it into his um, his side headlock later on when they do it Danielson's able to you know actually get the wrist lock and work it for a while until Colt gets out of it. You know, and then Danielson offers his wrist and Colts like, Caban is like, that's my trick. And so, so they do a lot. They, that first 10 minutes, it's, it's silly, but they get a lot out of a little. Um, another fun spot that I thought was very, it was funny because it's like, it's a cleverly set up joke, which I don't know if that's typically what you're going for in a massive world title match, but they, uh, but it was. So. Danielson does the surfboard, or he goes for the surfboard, doesn't actually get it. He pulls him into the dragon sleeper, but the crowd starts chanting same old shit after he does the I have till five thing at the ref. But So then Danielson goes back to the surfboard just to milk the same old shit thing. But this time, in order to prevent Danielson from pulling his arms back, Cabana grabs Todd Sinclair and... Uh, Sinclair counts Cabana you know one two three four and then Cabana like let's go and he yells in pain I have till five ah as Danielson pulls him <laughs> back and I thought that was like a very funny and well done joke that I've never seen before and again it's just it's just weird to say that in a big time world title match but it was a highlight of the match for me and then they do yeah, the honestly
0: that was one of my favorite spots of the yeah, whole match for sure that moment
1: for sure. Then they do that 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 whole thing you were talking about where they're grabbing each other's noses and hitting each other in the nose, which is fun. And then we finally get to the, uh, the big finish with the fighting spirit. And, you know, one thing that's interesting about Colt is he sort of like protects the Colt 45 almost like Kobashi protects the burning hammer. Like he very rarely does the Colt 45. I think he might have done it in that last homicide match, right? And he did it yeah. in this match, but he almost never does that move. Since like the first, like, maybe year or so that he was in ROH. So that's like a really protected move. You don't really see that too often where wrestlers just have these big moves that they just don't do. Um, but that's one of them.
0: Um, yeah, normally he just goes for the lariat or like right, lariat, roll up pinning combination. Lariat roll up. He
1: does like that, that reverse Boston crab that I think he eventually calls the Billy Goat's curse. Like, yeah. you know, and actually there is one spot that I'm like, hmm, Cabana fucked up here. Because he does the Billy Goat's curse. Um, the, you know, the reverse Boston crab and Danielson is like, he, he reaches the ropes and then Cabana pulls him back. And like Danielson is in that hole and he, he can't go anywhere. And then Colt just lets go to put it into the cattle mutilation. And that's when Danielson makes the ropes. And it's like, hmm, you know, that's a very like, if you wanted to treat it as a shoot, like that's a big strategic blunder, Colt. You should have kept on the move that Danielson wasn't able to get out of because yeah. by letting go, you gave him the opportunity to escape. Um, it's just interesting. I'd be, I'm curious to see if that gets played up in the match they have later in the summer. But yeah, this was an, this was a good, you know, very good match. You know, I think it's hard to have an absolute classic epic when so much of the match is comedy, but it definitely made for an interesting viewing experience and unlike any other world title match that I've seen.
0: It was, in a sense, a very cult Cabana world title match. You know, Absolutely. like you, you, you can't, you know. And for some people, that might be a negative. For some people, that might be a gigantic positive. You know, right. and like you said, it, there's nothing else quite like it. Right. Know, there was one other Mar-
1: spot I wanted to ask you about. Okay, so there's this spot late, very late in the match, where Danielson forearms Cabana, and Cabana yells, "Harder, knock me out!" And I'm like, "Hmm." Does that make sense? Like, that's a weird thing to want to have happen to you late in a match when you're trying to win. Like, why would you yell at somebody to hit you harder, like, at that moment in the match? Like, I get, like, you have these mid-match strike exchanges, but this is, like, a climactic moment and Colts, like, just yelling at Danielson to knock him out. Doesn't make any sense to me. (laughs)
0: Is he just going like Rocky Three, where Stallone yeah. to Mr. T, where he's trying to do the rope a dope? Like, like Danielson's going to get tired punching me over and over again. I don't that know. I, win, I have
1: but. it. I have it on authority that people in Cult's friends group hasn't have not seen Rocky, so I don't know.
0: <laughs> but uh, one of his cult friends group does, group does have an ex- cult.
1: Cult's cult friends group as of two thousand six. Let me make it clear.
0: I, I do think though that one of Prend in a Colt's two thousand six Friends Group nowadays does have experience with people punching him so often that they get tired. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Uh, the the observer uh had a note about this match. Um Dave wrote shabin isn't as over as punk in Chicago. Boy, that's a way to start off. But uh but there you him in the guy. <laughs> but they're using him in the hometown number one baby face for all the last few minutes were really hot particularly when cabana used catamulation on Daniel- danielson cabana also used the series of hard elbows that danielson has used to win recent matches danielson won with a small package and danielson then got on the mic and called himself quote mr small package which why is did they not include not that get. on the dvd that pisses me off so much that 's infuriating, and in fact, from a little more detail on that from chris vetter 's live report from the pw Torch website at the time he wrote Cabana grabbed the mic after the match and complained about losing on a on a cheap roll up. Daniel Dragon told him a win is a win. Cabana challenged dragon to a best of three falls match on august twenty sixth dragon ap- agreed. The stipulation is this is Cabana's last tail shot against him. So all this stuff, the Mister Small package, the challenge, you know, calling this a cheap win with a roll up, like none of this makes the DVD. Which yeah, even though they
1: had room on the DVD to to add it, it's very interesting that they decided they didn't want to put that on the on the DVD.
0: So after the match, the crowd explodes into a mix of cheers and booze. A few fans threw garbage in the ring. So that trend continues on this night. And some, but not, I would say not all the fans, but definitely some of the fans chant bullshit as a uh, Prezak, Says we need to get out of here. We're going to have a riot on our hands, which so, I would so call so a- funny
1: hearing Gabe's voice while Prazak was saying that stuff. We're going He
0: was like that had to have been Gabe telling him.
1: Yeah, it was like first Joe's knee, then homicide. Now this, like the, the thing, everything is falling apart before Cage of Death. Like it's just like all right, settle down, man.
0: It was such a cornball like cell of a very moderate audience reaction. Like probably yeah. the homicide reaction was worse. Um, In a weird moment, and then this is what I was referring to before, in a weird moment, Colt grabs the mic, and we can see he's just about to start to talk, and then they cut away. (laughs) So, like, you know he did have something to say. You just never get to see it. But – um. So what we do cut away, too, is the Briscoe Brothers backstage. Uh, Mark is wearing now wearing a red and the SAT vintage ROH T-shirt. That's from the early days. And uh, Jay says they've had a pretty good weekend going 2-0 and and laying out Aries is Strong. Mark says they have something for, Kent, for Kenta, too. It's time to man up. So like Matt said earlier, basically the same promo we saw earlier. And then we have uh, we cut to the ring a lot of students in the building after the show as the ring is being taken down. Bobby Dempsey says they've again requested this promo time to show Shane Hagedorn, their leader, the leader of the students, that he's the biggest loser in the school. Hagedorn mopes with his top-of-the-class trophy as the other students laugh at him for losing two nights in a row. Shane says, screw you to all of them. He says he's going to find some better company. He walks away. So that ends our little weekend double-shot storyline of… The, 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 the rise and fall of Shane McAdorn, he has been embarrassed. And then, Matt, we got a really weird thing because normally every Ring of Honor show, at the end of the last segment, which that was, we get like a little graphic of the Ring of Honor logo and that ends the DVD. Ring of Honor is not a Marvel Comics movie. It does not do post um, you know, sign-off little yeah. video clips until this one. On this one, after the logo, we get a weird thing where we see like three seconds randomly of the Ring of Honor crew backstage saying happy birthday to someone. I can't quite make out who it is. uh, So here's the thing.
1: I recognize not a single person in this clip. I didn't recognize any of the people saying happy birthday. I did not recognize the person they were saying happy birthday to. You could really even see the person's face. So even if I would have recognized them, I wouldn't know. Like – did you recognize people in this clip? Because I looked like three times. I was like, "Who are these people?" It's almost like they like somebody like spliced this in from like a random birthday party that had nothing to do with ROH. For all I know, from it what really I watched, it really
0: feels like an inside joke. Where almost even like a mistake. It is so random and so short. Did but you recognize I think anybody that- though? No, I, I I think the person that might be saying happy birthday. He's wearing a hat, so like Matt said, we you can't really see his face, but you could see a little bit. I think my instinct was it might have been Adam Pierce. So I looked at what's Adam Pierce's birthday. Adam Pierce's birthday is six days after this show, and Chicago is his hometown area, right? So my only guess is maybe like Adam Pierce's family or friends or something showed up and gave him like an early birthday.
1: Okay, because I, my, try, cause I tried because I tried to look because I tried to rewind it a few times and I did not. D- did not look like Adam Pierce to me,
0: but I guess it could have been. I mean, don't hold me to that, but that was the best guess I have. But yeah, I didn't recognize anyone either. So uh, that, that for anyone that actually has the DVD, that's a weird little Easter egg you can look out for. Don't cut it off right when you see the logo. Keep going. You'll see this weird three-second clip of a birthday party. And uh, that is the end of Chi-Town Struggle. So Matt, uh, yeah, the second half of a double shot. Couple big matches up top. A weird birthday party. What did you think about the show, Matt?
1: I mean, I was better than I remembered. Like, I pretty much, other than the pure title match, which I know you did like, I pretty much liked everything. And I, you know, really liked the Kenta Aries match. I thought that the Danielson match was very different. And you know, for a thirty-minute match, it kept me entertained. So I and the crowd was hot. Like sometimes too hot. So. I thought this was a very good B-show. You know, you, you know, it's weird to call a Chicago show a B-show, but this is definitely a B-show in the grand scheme of things, and um I don't know. I thought it was very entertaining.
0: Yeah, I thought this was a good show. It, you know, maybe the lamp isn't quite as high as some of the big shows we got spelled on recently, but, like, good stuff on the undercard, and I, and I think it's better than the show the night before in Ohio, in Dayton, because... um they both kind of have in some ways the same draw. Like both shows have Kenta in a singles match against one of the world champ one half of the tag team champions and then a big Brian Danielson world time match, also the draws of both shows. I would say I liked I think I liked the the Danielson three-way from the last show a little more than Colt Danielson here, but I liked the the um, the Kenta aries match better than kenta strong and i like the undercard on the show better and i thought the crowd was better so overall i think this is to the better show of, of the double shot um when that brings us to the end of the show so if you want to get in contact with us through the years at com, that's T-H-R-O-H for through. Obviously we're on YouTube. If for some reason you want to be like explosive dragon farts and watch the podcast there, you don't see video, but you do get to hear us on a browser window, which I guess you could do with different podcasts. Anyway, um, Twitter, Trevor, Trevor, Trevor. Trevor, what am I going to do with you? <laughs> Twitter at Trevor Dame, um, at mayor M G F for Matt. Next time on the show, We'll be covering one of the big ones. This is one of the ones we had circled from the start of the podcast, one of the tentpole shows in Ring of Honor history. Death Behold for Dishonor 4, the grand finale to the CCW Ring of Honor feud, the cage of death match where big angles was shot, huge spectacle of a match. The CCW fans are in the building one more time. It is considered to be one of the greatest feud enders of the last 20, 25 years.
1: Yeah. Now, now Trevor, I know, I know you're basically in the process of signing off, but I do have one more question for you, which is if you had just watched these DVDs, would you be that excited for cage of death? Like we were all super excited because we were following everything. Like we were following the news wires and like the website, the website and the message board. And like, we were amped for it, but like, do they do much on these DVDs to hype up this match? Cause I feel like they don't.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, Um, you're right. You know, I feel like we've gotten to the point in this feud that one of the flaw in Ring of Honor is occasionally we get into this with long running feuds where it feels like we've seen the same beat of the story over and over again before the blow off. Like, we've seen the same, you know, even Joe getting like wanting to confront CCW and then getting like attacked in in his bum knee. This isn't even the first, maybe not even the second time we've seen that in this feud. And I... I guess with that last thing where Prazec had like, oh, you know, Ring of Honor, like I think the story Gabe was trying to tell on the show is the idea that like Ring of Honor is in disarray heading into the big bay- so they're the underdogs heading into the cage of match, But I don't feel like they hit it as strongly as they needed to, if they really want to make that like a big selling point. Cause yeah, like Joe got his knee taken out, but I don't think like Danielson beating Cole is, is something to be afraid of? But not no, I, not I a say,
1: single ROH wrestler or c c w wrestler cut a promo about this match. Not
0: one. Yeah, and, and and Chris Hero not even being there, the guy who kind of started this all. You know that I know he probably had scheduling things, but that kind of hurts it. I, I would say I would at this point if I time traveled back and wiped right my memory after telling Chris Benoit you know not to do a few things, what I would say is I would be. Although, if I wipe my memory. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> what I would say is I would be excited, having seen everything that had come before, for Ring of Honor to go back into Philly to have that crowd atmosphere again. And I'd be hoping they could pull off a great match. I wouldn't be, like, expecting what we end up getting. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that exci- and, and in that sense, yeah, it's a failure because the job of wrestling is for you to have the highest of hopes, especially when you're going to be able to deliver on them. Yeah. So. I mean, like,
1: again, like I said, I guess the thought process at the time was nobody's just watching these DVDs. Everyone who's watching them is following it online to some extent. They'll hear the buzz. They'll understand through that. And we don't need to do it on DVD, which you know what? Maybe they were right. I don't know. Watching it back many years later, which I know is not what was intended. You can't. Re- you don't really feel the excitement the way that you did
0: when you were following things on the message board yeah. way back when. Well, we'll see if we can recapture the excitement next time when we will be covering Death of Dishonor Honor 4. That's an episode you should not miss. But you should not miss any episode because, hey, we, we try hard. We're, we're trying to make you guys happy. Like, and remember, Aren't we good enough for you? And remember, cameo, 1000 bucks, Do it. Yeah, cameos. So until next time, have a good time.
1: Have a great time.